the incomparable. Number 465, June 2019. Welcome back to The Incomparable. I'm Dan Morton, sitting in for Jason Snell as we return to the world of Gotham City for the second installment in Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy, uh, which has two-thirds of the movies have Dark Knight in the title, I guess. Maybe that's why they went with it. Uh, this is 2008's uh, the Dark Knight, appropriately titled, and here to discuss this film with me is a veritable rogues gallery of Batman enthusiasts. Christina Warren is here. Hi, Christina. Hello. Thanks for being here. I'm I'm so excited to be here. This is one of my favorite movies, period, of all time. So I'm I'm thrilled. I uh, excellent. I'm glad we have that perspective uh, represented on this podcast. Joe Rosenstiel is also here. Hi, Joe. Is this one of your favorite movies of all time? It might not be. (laughs) I love it. It's okay. Yeah, there's room for plenty of different opinions. Uh, Speaking of different opinions, Guy English is here. Hi, Guy. I really love Michael Caine and The Dark Knight. It is one of my my most enjoyable movies. You could have just stopped after Michael Caine. I think everybody who who listened to the Batman Begins podcast will recall. Uh, Also joining us, and he's promised to be on his best behavior, Don Melton. Hi, Don. Gosh darn! I'll be on my best behavior. <laughs> and and by the way, I, I I I'm in the Christina Guy camp on this uh, film. And I just want everyone to know before we start, I am also not wearing hockey pants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope you're wearing some kind of pants, but really, you do you. Uh, and of course, we could not talk Batman without him. It is the dean, president, uh, academic director of Batman University, Tony Sindelar. Hello, Tony. Wherever people are talking about Batman, I'll be there. It's really tiring <laughs> if people can talk about Batman just like a little bit less. Could use a day off. So uh, this movie came out three years after Batman Begins. Uh, it also, I think, in an interesting uh, sort of placing it in time, came out, I believe, the same year as Iron Man. So the yeah. superhero... Like six weeks yeah, later. S- superhero revival was in, f- like, getting ready to launch into full swing at that point. Um, we, of course, spent a lot of time talking about Batman Begins. Uh, and I think, you know, as a whole, and this is largely the same panel as that, uh, we were very positive on that movie. And, of course, as we've talked about a little bit already, Dark Knight has... Uh, a very good reputation, and a lot of people really love it. Uh, and I think there are people who have uh, concerns with it, and I, I would count myself among those number of people who think that there are some flaws to talk about. But I think there's also a lot here that works really, really well. Uh, so before we start sort of running through the movie, I thought I would open the floor to any opening statements, if anyone has one. I'll start. I've seen this movie so many times. I saw it in the theater at uh, IMAX, uh, I believe, opening night. Uh, I actually saw it again last year for the 10th anniversary. Uh, there was, I happened to be in New York City, and it happened. they happened to be doing a, a 10th anniversary screening. And, um, and I've seen it on home video uh, so many times. But I, I think, even though you did a really good job setting kind of the stage, historically, the same summer as, as Iron Man, I, I don't think it can be overstated what an impact this particular film has had on cinema in the last 11 years. I mean, I think even more than ultimately what happened with Iron Man and what that kind of beget with the Marvel Cinematic Universe has had a massive impact. But this, I think, to legitimize action films, um, superhero films, and really make them seem that they cannot just be for for kids and, and, and young people, but, you know, adult movies and things that can bring in, you know, billions and billions of dollars. 
it's really interesting to look at what the whole like landscape of a film was before and after this film and, and how things were marketed, especially uh, when it comes to genre films, because genre films, I, I think this is the most impactful film probably of all time. Agreed. I wanted to also say there are lots of axes of impact here uh, and some very weird ones too. For example, Christina mentioned that she saw it in IMAX and I, I saw, uh, I also saw it in IMAX on opening night, uh, probably in a lesser theater, but this was really one of the first big budget films that even used any IMAX at all. Uh, I mean, was it actually the first, Christina? You, it was one of them. They'd done stuff before. I think for that particular type of digital IMAX, the amount of film that they used, I believe it was the most up to that point. Because you'll note in people who watch the film, uh, you know, it, it, the entire thing is not done um, that way. It, it's, certain scene, it's, it's certain scenes. And I believe up to that point, it was the most. It, it cost a lot of money and the cameras themselves were ridiculously unwieldy uh, to use from a, from a technical perspective. Well, I mean, it was still... Uh film IMAX, but they they had digital projectors, which made it uh, more widely viewable than the film IMAX stuff where they had the dual projectors in the olden days. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember hearing about that at the time and especially I feel like the, the Hong Kong sequence, that part I was that that's filmed in IMAX, I think. Yes. Yeah. yeah I there are four that. sequences filmed in IMAX and that's the second one. There's the opening, the Hong Kong sequence, I forget, uh, the parade sequence, uh, and then the chase scene, the big chase scene on Lower Wacker Drive. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. It's hard to tell when, you know, I watch it on a 55 inch TV, so it doesn't quite pop the same <laughs> way I imagine it does on like a 50 foot screen. <laughs> you just need to sit like two feet away from the screen. Man. <laughs> I've been told that's, that's bad for my eyes, so I'm not doing that. Uh, any other, uh, uh, last thoughts before we dive in? Uh, I will just preface my, my, uh, situation here i don't want to say that i i don't like this movie or anything along those lines but joe just remember we love and respect you <laughs> uh but uh I, also I think this you mo- might be wrong <laughs> I think this movie has received a lot of adulation as uh, uh kind of like the best the most darkest the most serious um etc 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 so on and so forth uh but to what dan had said earlier i think there are some flaws that we, we will explore maybe as we talk about the movie some um i i still like it but when people uh i can tell when somebody throws this down <laughs> as like the ultimate uh the, pit, that the they, pinnacle of storytelling yeah that that maybe there's there's a, a couple of things they might not be thinking critically about in in the course of this i think by the metric that all good movies have to have at least one batman in them this is a pretty good movie <laughs> <laughs> this movie has a lot of batman in it so it's got more than one yeah, mathematically, yeah, yeah, Joe, it, it seems like it's the best movie, so I'm not really sure where you're coming from. Um, do you have any numbers to back up your uh, your claim there? Oh, no. I didn't do the math. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Joe, I am yeah. curious, though. Um, did you have that opinion when you first saw it, or has that been kind of informed by maybe the over the last 11 years? Because you're right. I mean, this has been considered and is, is, is you know, been critically acclaimed. You know, Heath Ledger won a posthumous Oscar, uh, which are, are not things that you expect in genre films. It, it doesn't happen. Has that kind of informed your your perspective or your your kind of analysis of it now that it, it's maybe not as if I'm understanding correctly you don't think it's maybe as good as as the hype is around it did you have that opinion when you first saw it I did have that opinion when I first saw it um, I, I think largely my my the thing the biggest problems for me stem from uh, the Harvey Dent storyline mm-hmm. um, and yeah. t- to a certain extent what they do with Rachel Dawes um, uh, where she 
becomes a damsel in distress and uh, stuff happens. But uh, like I said, I don't hate this movie or or think that it's a bad movie. But uh, I do hold those things against it. And I did have that opinion as I watched it the first time. This is not a, a vulture think piece uh, ten, 10 years <laughs> later. <laughs> this movie was that you liked was secretly bad. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was it was just something that's been bothering me. And I feel like I can't talk about it with anybody, um, which is why I went on a podcast so that I'll have people <laughs> yell at me on Twitter about it. <laughs> this is a very, very well made movie. I don't think you can like movies and watch this movie and think and hate it. Uh, there was a lot of really great compelling shots it's it's well constructed there are massive flaws and i think sorry massive is maybe overselling it but there yeah, are titanic yeah. flaws <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. rachel and two-face could have both fit on that board at the yeah. end you know I, I think i think some of the uh the, the, the heath ledger having passed and and um a lot of the love for this movie is tied up in in the mythology of what this film is more than the, what it actually is, which is kind of fitting for the character. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would I would argue that from my perspective, the biggest flaw with this movie is that there's there's simply too much. Um, yes. It is a two and a mm-hmm. half hour movie, which is not super long by a lot of today's standards, though you could easily argue that many of today's movies are too long, um, but it, that it tries to accomplish a lot. And it's really game with what it manages a to pull off. And what it's trying to do is very ambitious. So yeah. there's there's mm-hmm. I, there's a certain amount of grading on a curve, I feel like, where like degree of difficulty uh, comes into play because they try to do a lot and a lot of it works really well, but they ultimately i think suffer from simply having too much and not enough room to let it all breathe i think i think there is an incredibly amazing two-hour movie inside this movie unfortunately there's some other stuff and uh i mean i guess the question is simply is some of it not very good or is there just too much no matter how good it is like would it have been possible to make you have to be careful here because i've heard uh, i've been reading uh criticism uh, for this last couple of days and people have criticized it for being too sprawling and too wandering around and too long and then other people saying well you know, they crowded it. Everything's too fast paced. Just when you're getting into something, they cut to something else. And so you have to be really careful. You can't have it both ways on that. I don't know if that's true. I think you can hold both of those ideas at once, right? Like- well, I mean, I think, well, I think it's interesting. I, I honestly do think that if this were being made today instead of, instead of 11 years ago, I think that the success of, of splitting some of the Harry Potter books into two films and then seeing what they also did then with, with, with Hunger Games and even with, with, you know, Avengers, you know, uh, with, 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 you know, um, Endgame being in many ways kind of a, a direct kind of sequel, you know, second part. Um, I think that if this were to be done today, I I don't know if um, uh, uh, the director would have agreed, but I think the studio definitely would have pushed to say we will make this a two part film. Yeah, no, I I, the, yeah, I think you're, and, you're after right. the explosions. Right? I I feel like we're we're like almost ready to go through this uh, plot point by plot point, but still like tiptoeing around it. I mean, it, the last the, the the last part of the movie is the part where it kind of doesn't hang together as well right. as everything yeah. Yeah. before yeah. that, right? Yes, uh, which is unfortunate because it's like you've already been watching it for two right. hours, right. and then some of it also does not just doesn't, doesn't fit together right. quite does, right. And we'll get so. there, but I I would argue that there's parts in the last. Part, the last section of the movie that even where there's things that don't make sense they would even be okay outside the context of the movie like i like some of them as vignettes like little self-contained stories but in the larger scope of the movie 
it is kind of out of place or jarring or just like too much, too long, too distracting from the main thread of the plot. But I think that there's good stuff. Like, again, as Guy was saying, I think it's technically a very well-made movie. Uh, there is a lot of really, there are great performances. There is like really good looking cinematography. And I think the writing is very solid. It's just, it, it kind of in the end, it's a lot of weight and it can't support all of that. But uh, I think we should probably start to dive in before we, because uh, <laughs> we could easily spend the entire podcast just talking about the grand sweeping. And if anything, I feel like we may be coming off overly negative about yes, a movie that I agree. we enjoy many, many yes. things about. So, Hey, everybody. It's Jason here. Thanks to Dan for hosting for me. Uh, you know, I need to tell you about our sponsor. Uh, one of our sponsors for this episode is ExpressVPN. I know that cybercrime seems like something from the movies, something that would only happen if Morgan Freeman wired your phone to secretly record things and send them to batman but it's not true it also happens in real life public wi-fi is a real problem because it's unencrypted data streams and that's a bad place to be Uh, also anywhere you are and you're using the internet whoever is controlling those lines can see who you are and what you're doing and what you're contacting so you know what you do use express vpn not tomorrow today use it today it works by securing and anonymizing your internet browsing. You turn it on. It's one tap. It's super easy. It'll work on your tablet. It'll work on your laptop. It'll work on your uh, your phone. Whatever it is that you're using, you make a tap. Boom. Everything is encrypted. Your data is hidden. Your public IP address is hidden. And then you're safe. Then you're safe to surf without being snooped on. It was rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. I have used it. It could not be easier to use. I use it on my iPad. Tap once and boom, I am somewhere else in the world and nobody knows who I am, which is great in terms of security and privacy. For less than $7 a month, you can get the same ExpressVPN protection that I've got. So if you ever use public Wi-Fi and you want to keep the bad guys away from your data, you need ExpressVPN. Go to expressvpn.com slash Snell to learn more, protect your online activity today, and get three months free by going to expressvpn.com slash Snell. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Snell for three months free with a one-year package. Thank you to ExpressVPN for supporting The Incomparable. And now back to Dan and the crew talking about The Dark Knight. All right, so we kick this movie off uh, in kind of an interesting fashion, I think, which is in broad daylight, uh, mm-hmm. especially because so much of the previous movie, I feel like there was a lot of you know dark uh, scenes shot at night, etc., um, and we start off with a robbery that's being conducted in broad daylight. Uh, we have a bunch of thugs wearing clown masks, which obviously kicks off this whole idea of like, we know we know the Joker's in here, uh, but we don't, we get the implication from these characters that the Joker's somehow not here. He's like hired a bunch of thugs to rob something, set up this complicated robbery, but we've given, we're given some red herrings as we're like sort of drawn away from who exactly the Joker is. And of course, all these characters are talking about who the Joker is. Did you think it was an interesting uh, storytelling device? In other words, having the crooks narrate what's going on in the introduction and describing the character of the Joker. I thought that was an interesting choice. Yeah, Yeah. I think it's good exposition. I think it's good, too, because I think that Nolan knew that the audience is going to come into this thinking about Jack Nicholson, right? Mm -hmm. Like our image of the Joker before this film is... Exactly. a certain type of, of of character and that's kind of what we're expecting to see and so as we're describing him and the way it's described even kind of leads you to think that it's going to be this this jack nicholson type of character and then when it when the reveal happens i think it makes it that much more powerful 
One of the things I really liked about the the way they did the exposition here was that um, you could tell that these were obviously they were an organized gang, but they don't know each other that well. Mm-hmm. And so they're explaining to each other their like, they give each other their perspectives and it feels natural to be like, oh, the boss is crazy and all of this and this is the plan. We're going to go do it. And then when they start systemically killing each other off <laughs> yeah. in sequence, mm-hmm. you buy it more. You're like, oh, man, this is a crazy plan. And like, wow. It's, it's it's also it's kind of the perfect introduction uh without us seeing the Joker yet, though the Joker is mixed in with his henchmen, uh which is kind of a theme across all the Batman uh Nolan trilog- uh, trilogies, uh uh villains uh kind of hiding behind uh the role of a of a henchman. Uh but it's this kind of perfect intersection in this depiction of the Joker where he is kind of this wild animal, but also he is a meticulous meticulous planner. Right. Mm -hmm. So he has this elaborate plan where he has trained, uh, you know, five or six nobodies uh, to help pull off an elaborate bank heist. Right. What do you think Um, his GTD workflow is? I heard somebody, I can't remember who, talk about uh, looking at the Joker's uh, plans or schemes. He really is a schemer as sort of exercises in game theory. Yeah. And this is the first one that you see. It's basically setting a bunch of people up to make horrific decisions, right? And choices, now, Obviously, yeah. it's easier, right, with a bunch of criminals. But the stakes keep getting raised every time. And I thought that was an interesting way to introduce that. Yeah. To Don's point, it's kind of like, a, was it the Stanford experiment? Mm-hmm. The prison um, experiments, yeah. Well, he really does that one later on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and Tony, I think you could probably speak to this idea too. Like, there are, there are different categories of Batman villains, right? Mm-hmm. Like, as you have your sort of more mastermindy villains, you have your sort of more brute force villains, uh, and I think Nolan definitely favors the former. I think he he really likes the idea of these villains who spend a lot of time trying to outthink Batman. So we had uh, Rachel Ghoul in the first movie. And then you get sort of um, Bane and and other villains in the third movie, and <laughs> and the Joker here too. I think is is a sort of a emblematic of a more uh, mastermindy, really planning everything out uh, villain. And I think that's it's certainly a more interesting and works. I think a lot better with the stories Bale's trying to tell here. And you know, I mean, this is this Batman is basically not in this opening scene. Yeah. Uh, but this is one of my favorite segments from all of the Nolan movies. Totally. Uh, just just because of the twist to it, it's the as you mentioned, having it in broad daylight. Uh, but I mean, it's this thing where it's like it looks like a heist, and then you have the first clown kill the other clown, and then it turns out it's it's not just any bank; it's a mob bank, and things are different. And it, it's just it's a it's a great way to start off a movie. I, I mean, it, it asks. It, kind of causes the uh, audience to ask a lot of questions about what's going on. And you have the great reveal of the Joker at the end, uh, who is mixed in among his own henchmen and doing this thing that is, that is both kind of brilliant uh, in terms of using all these little pieces and escaping in the school bus full of cash yeah. uh, with all the other buses in the morning. Uh, but is also, you know, uh, just completely insane. Right. And he leaves with a total Joker move of the smoke grenade. Yep. Right. 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 With, uh, right. with Fincher, which well, yeah, a, William a Fickner, great yeah. actor wasted on that, but... Uh, yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, wasted on a really thick accent. <laughs> it also introduces the Joker's love for words, which are really the screenwriter's love for words. Uh, you know, I believe whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many turns and lines... I mean, you understand the impact of this movie because there's 
incredibly long pieces of dialogue that I have heard people who are not nerds like us repeat word for word. I mean, they know this stuff. Yeah, it's part of the cultural lexicon. I, I was actually thinking that when I was rewatching this um, on my flight back from from India um, uh, last week or a couple days ago, uh, I, I had that same thought. I was like, it's so interesting how many phrases that, as you said, come from really long monologues of dialogue are just things that people say, you know, um, in, in a way that uh, for this type of film, um, it, it's more common now, but it, it's it's really I think you're exactly right. It totally sums up its its cultural impact. Now, I just want to call it my favorite uh, my favorite shot in this, which is I think a little throwaway bit, which is the first guy who tries to open the vault gets like shocked and dies, and then when the next guy comes in, he sees the, the guy who's replaced him as what his, happened to him? He has his sneakers on his hands on the vault, <gasps> which I love because it's never it's not explained, but it's it's obvious from context. Um, but it's just a, it, he got the job. Yeah, it's a it's a yeah. really really clever little bit there. He's a biff. Uh, yeah, he's serious. <laughs> total total biff. <laughs> um, all right, so we have some we have sort of brief intercut um, for the next segment where first we get a little bit of uh, our our mayor uh, played by Nestor Carbonell from Lost and uh, being interviewed by Anthony Michael Hall uh, on TV about Batman, and then we have a, a longer intercut segment where um, you know Gordon's on the roof with the bat signal and they're waiting for Batman to show up, but he's not showing up. While the Scarecrow is doing a deal, uh, they, a drug deal, essentially, that gets interrupted by a bunch of vigilantes dressed as Batman, uh, and eventually Batman. And this sort of, uh, I think this is an interesting point, too, because this is the the inflection point where I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I don't think we ever get a really clear indication of how long after Batman begins this movie takes place. But I would think the implication is at least a you know uh, a couple years even though batman begins ends with that whole tease of the joker it still feels a lot like it's there's been some time i thought there was a line in here that says it was one year but i yeah. might be missing a, a significant amount of time he, he makes the comment where were you they wouldn't have done this a year ago or whatever but yeah, but, but you're but you're right it does feel like i don't know because i've been i was trying to figure out that timeline as well i feel like it's five years but i don't but i also feel like that's too much time. I don't know, but it feels like it's been more than one. We could say it's it's uh, the no, the number of years between the movies. It's three. I know that's yeah. kind of what I assumed, but I, yeah. I think it's long enough that Batman is a known presence. That there are mm-hmm. copycats. Uh, there is an implication at one point, I think, where you know the Joker is brought up and Batman says like, "Ah, this guy again," you know, or like this mm-hmm. indicating yeah. he's been around for a while pulling these jobs. Uh, the Scarecrow is not; he's fallen from grace a little bit in terms yeah. of his <laughs> pecking right. order right. in the in, in Gotham. There's also no Wayne Mansion yet, so it can't be right. like that right. long. Yeah, it, it takes a, it takes it takes a while to rebuild a mansion brick by brick. Yeah, so. the reason that this is not that academic is that between the space of Batman Begins and the end of this movie is effectively the entirety of batman's career up until dark knight rises like he retires basically at the end Mm -hmm. of this so what like he splashed on the scene from between one year to five we're saying yeah exactly well it's like he burns you know bright and hot um and then you know goes out but yeah no but that's a good point because it's like it it seems like they're acting as if it hasn't been that much time but then when you think of his impact you know on the city um he's been busy i guess it, I guess so. it, it yeah. seems i mean everyone knows him right there's public policy discussions about him he's not a, an urban legend at this point he is like 
this is a thing we need. It, you know, it, the legitimacy of vigilantes is a thing as opposed to like people whisper about there being a Batman. Also, we all know from current events that time can expand and feel much longer yes. when crazy things are happening. <laughs> this is true. So, this is true. You know, if yeah, our city is besieged by villains yeah. who are dressed as clowns and people dressed up as bats fighting mm-hmm. them, it can seem like a long mm-hmm. time. That's true. That is true. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the you know the appearance of the Batman imposters is uh, is interesting. Uh, that I feel like that's not something that gets explored in a lot of other Batman media, where you know there's the idea that Batman kind of creates a lot of villains, uh, but here he also creates you know a bunch of uh, uh, incompetent aspiring sidekicks. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're also villains, right? No, I mean they're vigilantes, right? They're only villains because well, they have guns. He I leaves guess. them tied up. He leaves them tied up with the drug dealers, and those guys could just go. I mean, you yeah. never know who they're going to shoot, right? Like they're yeah, but I mean they're no more villains than he is in terms of legitimacy it's just he doesn't like them and he's the he's batman prime he's got the intellectual (laughs) property also whichever batman can tie up all the other batman is clearly the actual batman Batman. yeah they are very incompetent at everything (laughs) uh and they're depicted that way through the course of the film and they are firing off guns in a you know parking garage so but but later in the film they're looked at as sympathetic uh characters i mean but when... batman also c- creates a surprising amount of property damage in this movie for a hero yeah I'm just gonna that's say, one of my complaints you know yeah. so, mine too he actually in this first scene the he the tumbler uh p- crushes through a wall in a parking garage and it's like there's just a drug deal here right like exactly it's, it's you could just call it, and then he launches some kind of grenade or rocket into some parking attendant's office who's presumably not there but he probably has like photos of his kids up on this tack board and you know to intimidate the drug dealers um so yeah i mean that just seemed like you know you're escalating things unnecessarily with your tank to take out like four guys and some dogs so. yeah although although it's interesting right because it it I don't know. I kind of like the fact that he kind of is saving, you know, Scarecrow, who's kind of fallen from grace. You know what I mean? Like this villain is kind of like it's almost like they're bros now. You know, uh, he's like, I- I'm not going to, you know, you're 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 an easy one to deal with. I'll save yeah. you from from uncertain death from from this other kind of crazy drug dealer. So I feel like they're like they're like high school classmates or something. <laughs> Just like slightly embarrassing. Like, ah, oh, Scarecrow. Yeah, he used to be captain of the varsity football squad, but now he's just selling drugs out of a van in a parking garage. <laughs> a white van, too. It's not even like it's got a Scarecrow logo on it or something. You know? I just, I felt bad. I was like, because the Tumblr is clearly designed to sell a toy version of it. And right. No one's going to buy, no one's going to buy the toy white panel van. <laughs> Batman so. is bringing a much harsher game, even in the beginning of the film and i think it kind of works although i would agree with guy when he was just randomly shooting up uh vehicles to you know (laughs) cut through a bit uh and uh glass and everything and to cut through a building it it started to stray into man of steel territory but yeah we'll get there because i've got a whole rant about that i've prepared an essay yeah (laughs) yeah i I think it kind of works in the begin the beginning Sure. It didn't bother me then. I also thought it was, um, uh, I as a dog lover, the treatment of dogs in this film is <laughs> disturbing. Yes, we are. We're kind of jumping ahead, but like Batman is somebody who will go out of his way to not kill terrorists, serial killers, mass murderers, but he will drop a dog down an elevator shaft like nobody's business. So yeah, that yeah. was uh, th- talk about your escalation. 
Yeah, that I we didn't get into the backstory of that dog, uh, Don, <laughs> but that dog is from space and he's a bad dog. He just he's an alien that looks like a dog. There you go. We get a little bit of Gordon at the crime scene and sort of get the explanation that these are all uh, mob banks and they're trying to sort of shut down all the various mobs in town. Um, in the morning, Bruce isn't in when Alfred goes to check on him. So, but of course, he's been sleeping in the bunker. He's still got Alfred to stitch him up. And this is where the point where we get introduced to the uh, the new district attorney, Harvey Dent, and the idea that um, you know, and the new Rachel Dawes, and the new Rachel Dawes. Uh, but we also get the beginning of this idea where Bruce is starting to clearly think about like uh, the distinctions between himself and Batman, and Batman's role in the larger part of Gotham, and he's starting to get an inkling that maybe. Uh, Harvey Dent is can do things that Batman can't accomplish. That Harvey is the White Knight. Yes, yeah. right to to the the Batman's Dark Knight, uh, and we get mm. a little more of Harvey in the courtroom. Uh, we are established his father's lucky coin, and he've got this whole mob scene uh, in the trial with uh, Salvatore Moroni, played by Eric Roberts, who is really Eric Robertsing it up. Yes. Um, <laughs> And we have this very bizarre scene that I always it's it's a fun scene, but a very strange scene where the person who is being cross examined by Harvey a starts to lie about being the head of the crime family and then pulls a gun on him in open court. Yeah, yeah. It's like how did he get that through? You know, it almost feels like a dream sequence. I always think every time I see it. The Harvey Dent Two Face origin story is a witness on the stand throws acid in his face. Right. So when I saw that happening the first time, I was like, oh, this, is, a fake this is what happens. Yeah. But, but, it, but it gave him some street cred of, like, taking the gun off him and punching him in the face. And yeah, I mean, it him. basically establishes that he's, he's tough and the crowd cheers for him, so they love him. He's tough and, he's, tough and he's, he's not just, like, you know, the pretty, you know, kind of face. Like, he's actually willing to, to, yes. to get to and get And he he's not afraid of anything, right? Someone will literally put a gun at him in, in the courtroom and he doesn't care. He's here to take down the mob. Right. He's dogged, right? Like, he's here. He's got a mission. Uh, he's very charismatic. We get his whole thing about, like, maybe he should have bought a American, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. all establishing this whole persona that we are, you know, going to root for. I thought it was interesting reading an interview with uh, Aaron Eckhart, who played Dent, that uh, he actually based quite a bit of his performance on uh, Robert Kennedy. Casting of Eckhart, I think, was great. Um, and, and you immediately like Harvey. You kind of don't trust him, but you like him. Right, right. There's a little bit of, is he too good to be true? Uh, exactly, that, that exactly. Which, which I think is really interesting in how they treated the arc of the character, especially compared to kind of the, the origin is that, you know, we're getting ahead of things, but it, he was really all those things. All right, folks, I'm back to tell you about one more sponsor. This episode of The Incomparable is also brought to you by Away, maker of smart premium suitcases so your luggage doesn't cost more than your plane ticket. I love my Away carry-on. We got it from away loved it so much we bought a second one just the best and the away carry-on comes with a battery you can charge all your devices when you travel i love this battery it's big you can charge your phone five times from a single charge super flexible too pop it out take it with me go to awaytravel.com slash snell right now and browse away's suitcases they all are made from german polycarbonate it's unrivaled in strength and impact resistance it will survive your journey, and it's very lightweight. They've got 10 colors, five sizes, the carry-on and the bigger carry-on, the kids' carry-on. And they've also got, if you want a matching larger stuff to check, they've got a medium and a large size suitcase as well. And they cut out the middleman so that you can get first-class luggage 
at coach prices. Away suitcases have a patent-pending compression system. It's great if you're an overpacker like me. You can just stuff it all in there and then pull a couple of straps and whoop. Also, 360-degree spinner wheels. Once you have used a suitcase with spinner wheels, you will never go back to the old two-wheeled luggage. It's the worst. All of Away's carry-ons are compliant with major U.S. airlines and maximize the amount you can pack. TSA combination locks are built in. They've got a removable washable laundry bag so you can separate your clean clothes from your dirties. I love that one, too. They believe in the quality of the products, so there's a lifetime guarantee. If anything breaks, they'll fix or replace it for life. And they've got that 100-day trial, too, with a no-questions-asked return policy, so you can take it on a trip and see how it is and decide whether you want to keep it or not. Free shipping on any order in the lower 48 states of the U.S. Okay, go to awaytravel.com slash Snell. If you use the code Snell at checkout, you'll get $20 off any of these suitcases. Summer is here. Travel time right now. Awaytravel.com slash Snell and use the code Snell. You'll get $20 off and you will travel in style with an Away suitcase. Thank you to Away for supporting the incomparable. Now, back to Batman. Can we talk about, uh, she doesn't have a lot of screen time, kind of this thing, but can we talk about the recasting? Um, yeah, yes. yeah. So, yes. so in this movie, in the first movie, we had Katie Holmes as Rachel Dawes. Uh, in this movie, Katie Holmes decided, I guess, not to be in it. I think she. I read no, that she it, took another to, role. To be more, to, no, no, no. Uh, Tom Cruise. Hmm. Well, I know Tom Cruise. That, that yeah, I, I understand that. Yes, there, there are a couple different interpretations. I think because I also read the uh, a bit about how she decided to be in a different movie. But yes, I'm sure that Tom Cruise and his handlers had a part to play in that. I mean, he they were engaged, or maybe they'd just gotten married, and and um, he because their romance exploded during the first uh film during the publicity of that was when he was um uh doing publicity for one film she was doing it for another they did the whole he did the jumping on the couch thing um and uh yeah i mean he from all accounts he didn't uh approve the script or something and didn't think that she should do the film uh, which was a colossal mistake for her. Instead, she did Mad Money. Right. Yes, right. that was a movie she did. So. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm going to be unpopular here, and I can get away with saying this because I'm the one woman on the panel, and this will also help me whenever I criticize uh, uh, Prince Harry's um, hairline on Twitter, <laughs> and people say that I would never say things like this about a woman. Um, Maggie Gyllenhaal is fine. I think she's actually a good actress in some things. I really liked her in Secretary. I do I do not like her in this. Uh, she does a very good Katie Holmes impersonation. Yeah. Like, she literally copies the the vocal tics the mannerisms and the whole thing um but i don't like her in this and watching this in imax on mag huge screen like doesn't really have the angles that katie holmes had for the close-ups i'm just gonna say that I, I think, yeah, I think you're totally right about her sort of aping Katie Holmes's performance. And it makes me wonder if, you know, if she had just either chosen to or been allowed to make it her own, whether she would have been more successful in this role. But yes, I, I think that does not do her any favors here. I don't have a, a problem with uh, Glenn, uh, Hall's casting her choices so much as I think one of the real big valid criticisms uh of this is that she didn't have a lot to work with i mean she was basically the damsel in distress and that was the thing that really bugged me yeah you know and this is the significant part for a woman in this movie this is where i think it really falls down i I agree we talked a little bit about that in batman begins about even there that you know katie holmes is basically the only significant woman character in that movie and in this one i was counting this time it's you got you got rachel you've got the one cop who works for gordon Mm -hmm. ramirez you've got gordon's wife 
And that's about it. And a lot of the discussion is is about, you know, who's Rachel going to go off with? Right. I, I mean, this is just, yeah. did men write this movie or what? I, I, I think particularly about the scene uh, where they use kind of the bat signal for the first time in the movie and Gordon and uh, Harvey and Batman are there on the rooftop having their like meeting uh, as the kind of the, the trinity that's going to like fix Gotham. And it's like, where did her invite get lost? Because like... <laughs> You know, she knows. She knows she Gordon. Know, like, like she knows a lot of stuff. She's been around, and like, the, no one actually trusts Harvey Dent yet. Like, maybe you guys should be having a meeting about Harvey Dent without Harvey Dent, or, or maybe she should bring him to the thing. Like, maybe she should do the invite. Yeah. Thing, like, you know, hey, he's a friend. Maybe she'd be like, I can introduce you. I can. I can be the bridge to that character as opposed to the girlfriend for some reason that gets pushed aside. So. Yeah. Right, because like I'm okay with her being like an assistant DA, and that he's the the district attorney. Like I I, I can be okay with that. That's that's where she she would be in like in her career and whatnot. But yeah, the fact that they're you also know, dating. They're well, I mean that's fine too. I mean whatever. I like, mean it, it, ethics, it, but yeah, whatever. Well, I mean he's elected, so it's not like I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming that that she was already in in the office. I mean if it's consensual, whatever. But like. It's that bothers me less than just, you know, she's like his second chair, you know, they kind of have that kind of thing going on. And it's like, okay, you know, she's the girlfriend. Um, And there were some opportunities. I don't want to get too far ahead where I think the character has some interesting kind of lines and some other stuff. But you're exactly right. It it is disappointing that um, especially since the character in the first film wasn't a damsel in distress. That it was right. kind of a, that is that is a regression, and, and she's the one slapping Bruce Wayne in the first film, knocking some sense to him. She's literally his conscience and kind of like his grounding force in the first film, and and to be kind of reduced to what it is 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 disappointing. I can't help but think that if Katie Holmes had kept stayed in the role, if it would have been, I don't know, maybe a more enjoyable performance, or if it would we wouldn't have been so easy to, to focus on the the flaws in the writing around the character. I, I agree with everything Christina just said. Um, uh, and to add on top of that, I would say that the love triangle and the way it's expressed through the film, um, where she basically just gets thrown back and forth between these two men, um, makes it even more ridiculous uh, mm-hmm. and and yeah. is not really uh, good writing. <laughs> Does anyone believe that she actually loves Batman? Because I don't. <laughs> 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 No, I think she's exasperated by him. I think she's tired. Like she's, yeah. you know, like I, th- I think that she loved him at one time as as kind of a person, but you know, she's no longer enamored with him. She's no longer. But I think the plot of the movie wants us to think that she's uncertain. Yes, it does. Well, yeah. I, no, I I think he loves her, and she loves him as the boy he used to be, but not the man he's become. Which yeah, is, right. Know, because like, he won't give up Batman. I, well, I mean, she says as much. It's like it's yeah, not like right. she's like yeah. being weird about it she's like look you're a crazy person and i hate to <laughs> hang out with you so. yeah instead of getting any therapy you bought a very fancy suit and i have questions about that so. <laughs> right that part i thought was clear and work but it was this whole ridiculous triangle and bouncing back and forth and frenching both of them and all that kind of stuff it's like it's cheap and easy writing and it's using a woman as a prop Completely. And it's like, okay, look, I get it. Like, Christian Bale is incredibly attractive. But, like, she's seen him through some stuff and, and is clearly, like, yeah, it, it, it doesn't feel real to the character that she would be like, okay, let's let's make out now. Yeah. 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 All right. So to pick up back of the plot, we have a little bit more with Dent and uh, Gordon arguing about meeting Batman. 
Uh, we learned a little bit of Harvey's backstory that he worked in internal affairs and that they had a different name for him in the major crimes unit. Wink, wink. <laughs> wink, wink. Also, mm. we learned that he investigated. It's it's a good kind of, you know, future thing that he investigated some of the cops. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Some of the people internal in, the yeah. in Gotham. They just, is a, they just like, put that's Chekhov's a... gun right up there. <laughs> yeah. Don't they? But it's like, that's clearly like there's a lot of job security. <laughs> that's a, meat, meat, <laughs> a lot of meat on those bones. Yeah. There's a lot of crooked cops to, <laughs> to do paperwork on. By the way, did you notice on the. Um, the rooftop meeting, and they repeat this at a couple of other places, the whole, you know, the camera circling around the yeah. three yes. f- forces. And it doesn't stop until they agree. Mm. Interesting. And I thought, okay, that was genius. That's very, <laughs> thought, very clever. I'm glad that the camera stopped moving. <laughs> um, there, there's a lot of camera I don't spinning. get motion there, sickness, but... Uh, yeah. But I thought that that was an interesting take. And then the great thing where, you know, they're uh, uh, Dent and um, Gordon are talking and then Dent turns around. Batman's not there. And I just thought it was a great line. He does that. Yeah. (laughs) I actually laughed out loud in the theater the first time. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good bit. That's a good bit. Just braying like a horse. I thought it was hysterical. We've got uh, Mr. Lau doing a deal with Wayne Enterprises while Bruce is asleep at the board. Uh, we've got a little bit of a conversation between Lucius and Bruce there where uh, Lucius thinks there's something fishy with Lau's company and Bruce really just wanted to look at their books. Uh, and we get a little bit about him wanting his new suit that's more mobile, which is also, as I understand, uh, Christian Bale did not muscle up quite as much for this one since he you know, was able to be a little bit more mobile in the suit they designed. Um, we get, uh, Harvey and Bruce, uh, meeting at dinner, uh, as Harvey and Rachel are out to dinner and Bruce shows up with the, the prima ballerina from the Moscow ballet. Um, mm-hmm. and they have an interesting, I actually think this is one of the more in, like really interesting scenes in this movie oh, yeah. with yeah, just a great a, scene all played with no superheroics, right? It's the argument about Batman and whether or not Batman is justified and whether or not Gotham needs Batman. One thing I liked about this scene is that, uh, the ballerina, Natasha, yes, Natalia, she's the smartest. Yeah. She's, 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 she's making sense. She's making yep, coherent, yep. good arguments. I, she exists in the real world while everybody else is being bananas. And I, <laughs> right. I like that about that character. Yeah. But the best line, one of yep. the best lines of the f- uh, film, and something that sets up the whole ending, mm-hmm. you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yep. And and like I said, I have just random people yes. who are not nerds, I've heard them parrot that you know, that line, you know, the same thing with, you know, some men just want to watch the world burn. Yeah. I mean, yeah but that's that usually after too. they take a free refill of Coke when they shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. No, no, that, that, that line. I mean, it obviously comes up again, you know, at the end, but is one of those kind of central things to the thesis of the film. I, I think that is the thesis of the film, right? Oh yeah. That's the thesis of the film. And what's interesting because I was, when I was rewatching it is, how it's just kind of said nonchalantly. He's he's in the middle of kind of a, a longer piece of dialogue, which I think is really interesting. That is just the way that it's treated, it, the way it's acted there and kind of thrown out that way um, is really interesting. So at this point, Bruce decides that he seems to have bought in uh, on uh, on Harvey Dent and he's going to throw him a fundraiser. We we cut to our uh, meeting of all, all the crime groups in Gotham. Uh, Maroney, the Chechens, uh, and Lau appears on a CRT TV. Uh, 2008. Yes. Good times. Yeah, you're missing somebody, Dan. 
Oh, I yes, I'm sorry. Uh, Michael Jai White appears. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Michael Jai White as Braun Steiger. As, yes, he's so Braun good. Steiger slash uh, Gamble. I think he is in Gamble. this one. Yeah, yeah. Gamble. Um, Gamble. He's great in in this as in many things. He he has yeah. like serious gravitas. I always enjoy him. We do, we're calling him out because he's on Arrow, which we talk about too often. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did know. I I had forgotten it was him in this movie, yeah, but too. I was great. delighted to see him. Yeah. Um, and of course we have the. Um, so we get a little bit more of the plot backstory. They're, they're going to move some money around, trying to shelter it from all the cops. But then we get the Joker crashes the party, and we get his uh, his his magic trick, which is, I think, another yeah. one of those scenes that so tends to stick in people's memories. Just grim. I remember in the theater, and this is a big IMAX theater when I saw it, and people were spread out. I don't know why in the showing it wasn't completely filled. But you could just hear the groan and gasp of, oh, my God. You know, in the theater when uh, his head went down on the table yeah. on the pen- pencil. It's especially impressive because it's not uh, very graphic, no, but it's you very evocative. It's visceral, it is. right? Yeah. Well, yes. And I, I think that goes to one of the things I like so much about this Joker's characterization is that, you know, you are talking earlier about, you know, the villains tend to be either like brute force or um, smart. And, and the Joker is in a lot of ways both, right? Like he might not have the strength, but he People is... People keep underestimating him. Yeah, right? I, mean, I mean, but he is deadly. Like he really... And, and you see that in the first scene, but you really kind of see it here where he's just like... I'm just going to I'm just, I'm I'm going to kill you. I'm just going to slam your head into a pencil. And I, it's not going to do anything to me. For his amusement, right? Like From, he exactly. he could have gone to the thing he goes to later where he says like, "Oh yes, I have like seven grenades in my in my inner coat lining here." But, right. But I'm willing to make a pencil disappear first. It's, so, it's the yeah. setup. It's the fact yeah. that he sticks it into the table. He doesn't yeah. pick mm-hmm. it up and stick the guy in the face. It's like, "Hey, I'm he sets it up, he draws the guy over to him and then he sticks it his face onto the pencil. It's, ooh. It's, it's indicative of, of once again of his planning, but, but his planning and his brute, just his, his, like he doesn't, Mentality. the lack yeah. of a conscience, like he's just like, I'm just going to do this. I mean, I think this whole scene is about basically establishing like the Joker is this thing that no one knows how to deal with in Gotham, right? They've had this status quo of these mobs and they're all, in fact, now they're not even fighting. They all have the same accountant. Right. Everything's functioning yeah. fine. And now there's a supervillain that like, that just does not fit into the equation. He's, he's literally the wild card. Yes, he is the mad dog, is the motif they use over and over again. You know, we got one line in the intro in the bank, and now we get the full yeah, Joker. Yeah, I, I, I think we should talk a little bit about Heath Ledger here. I think Christine mentioned up top, like, the uh, Oscar um, for this and you know obviously his his performance anchors a huge segment of this so you know bears a little bit more investigating joe how do you view heath ledger's performance here i i like heath ledger in this i thought he did a good job and i remember the skepticism um uh that was surrounding this movie before it was released uh people were up in arms um nerds on the internet who (laughs) who now say it's the best movie ever yeah they're Um, like how, how dare you cast this pretty boy I was skeptical, but I wasn't like up in arms because who has time for that? Nerds on the internet who would prefer the movie be assembled from existing Jack Nicholson footage. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't have the viscerally negative reaction to Heath being cast the same way a lot of the other nerds on the internet did. Um, But the level of what he did with the performance um, speaks for itself. And and obviously we have to acknowledge that the fact that he died – um, before the Oscar nominations, you know, um, of, of an overdose has led to the mythology 
even more so, right? Like the performance, I think, even if you were still alive, would, would hold up and nobody would discount anything with it. But I think just when you see this glimpse of brilliance and you think about what could have been, it, it adds you know, a level of gravitas to it that wouldn't be there otherwise. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you're right about that. I, I, Ledger's performance is one of the standouts in this movie. I, I think he delivers just a super weird, mm-hmm. really interesting performance that is utterly unlike the Joker. And this movie very deliberately makes him something where we have no idea of the background. And that's that works extremely well, I think. Batman to- stories get retold over and over again. We've seen lots of people uh, portray the Joker. Uh, I, I appreciate that it is different than... The Jack Nicholson version that is different than Mark Hamill versions, uh, and and is and also Romero. very well done. Yes, Caesar <laughs> wasn't going to mention. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> different than that one as well. So, so we yeah. get the uh, after the Joker leaves this meeting, we get the scene that Don mentioned before, with where we have Batman and Dent and Gordon on the roof, uh, and they sort of agree to make this plan to bring down the mob. We have Bruce uh, basically expressing to Lucius that he wants to go to uh, Hong Kong. Someone wants to go to Lucius to go to Hong Kong, talk to Lao, and wants him to also figure out a way he can jump out of a plane and then back into a plane. <laughs> so, you know, easy days for Lucius Fox. Um, One of my favorite scenes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, Morgan Freeman in this movie is, you know, he's Morgan Freemaning it, but like that is exactly what you want. So. <laughs> The next scene I think that's kind of important is that we get this whole bit where the Joker tricks his way into Gamble's office and essentially takes over that part of the mob. But what's an, I think the interesting part that we need to talk about is this is the first time Joker tells his his backstory about the scars, which I think is a, is a super interesting choice uh, to have him relate several different stories. And this is the one where he talks about his like dad abusing him and, and cutting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's. It's really good, and and because it's the first one presented, I think you you buy into it a little bit totally and, until you realize he's just making up these stories. And and this is the first time we we hear the line "Why so serious?" Mm-hmm. which is a you know another tagline uh, from the film, which I think they also used in viral marketing. I believe, I believe they yeah. did. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we, uh, we move swiftly into the Mission Impossible portion of the movie, uh, where Lucius goes to meet Lau and uh, dumps his phone, uh, and then basically just shows up to tell Lau that, you know, we think you're shady and we're not going to do business <laughs> with you. Uh, and then it turns out, of course, that this is all a plot to get this this secret sonar device in there so that Bruce can break in later. I mean, I think this action sequence is fun. It does feel a little weird in this movie, because it's like, let's leave Gotham and have Batman man beat up some yeah, triad guys yeah. for a while and then, we'll go, and then we'll go back to the movie in progress everybody um i feel like you could have dumped a lot of this section and the movie would not have hurt yeah, it does not lead to the it's fun and it's oh a neat God. action scene and i like when he blows up the thing and he gets pulled out and this is the best part of the movie this is the scene <laughs> yeah, i just watched before we came in here <laughs> see i i like i like the bank heist scene at the beginning but you know Same. these are yeah we are introduced to the joker by his meticulous planning and his ability to pull off a bank heist against basically a hard target which is a like a mob bank one that you wouldn't want to hit and he does anyway he manages to take out all of the people on his team and he gets away with a bus full of money it's amazing it, it introduces you to has hit to him as a, a serious threat and not just a physical one a violent one but one of intelligence and planning and cunning this scene uh, the extradition scene shows us uh batman's planning he he goes to Lucius. He gets the equipment he needs. I love that little conversation. Um, he finds an excuse to be in the area, which where he is absconds with the entire ballet. Um, he lets Michael Caine hang out on a boat with the ballerinas. That's <laughs> yep. perfect because Michael Caine's the amp. The, he's just the best. And he complains about it because he's Michael Caine. And that's <laughs> yes. what you do. He, he, yeah. He's like, I don't want to have to put on your sunscreen. Yeah. Dude, 
Yeah. And then he goes swimming and he and he goes to the to the to the plane. I love how much of it is low key, not in a bat suit, planning and meticulous consideration of the objective at hand. I like when he's on the top of that tower and he's uh, setting the timer and he's Mm -hmm. trying to figure out, like, how long am I going to be in that building? He's got his backpack with the uh, the air balloon to help him get out of town, basically, to get the the skylift thing. And he, he hits the building and he takes a few people out. Not that many. I think it's like four. Grabs his target, ties the thing around his waist, and then just books before all of the serious opposition gets there. And it is by pure dint of planning and execution that he manages to pull it off. And that is a Batman that I believe in. Like, not I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. believe I don't believe he can actually do it. But it's it's mm-hmm. that's great, right? I like this much better it's, than later. It's in the setting movie. up the yin and the yang, yes. right? Right. For exactly. Later on. Exactly. You're totally. understanding. There's all the parallels, but then also it's at night, and and there's the they both attack the target from up above. Yes, it's it's all in there. But also he goes to Hong Kong and kidnaps a guy, and then leaves him <laughs> right. outside the police I mean, station. I yes. think it's incredibly. I think it's. I, I love watching the sequence. Right. I think it's an incredibly fun one to watch, and I, I agree with everything the guy said. The only thing I would say is I think that for the plot. It's unnecessary. If we were looking at with that for sure, yeah. I I think you know if you were looking at getting cutting this movie down at the beginning, we were talking about how there are places where it feels like it kind of falls apart. I would have much rather had this fifteen minutes been added to the end so that they could have fleshed out the ending more Um, because it's a really fun thing to watch. Don't get me wrong, and I think that's why it's done IMAX and that's why people watch it. And and there's this is like the popcorn element to it, right? But. As you said, there's the there's just so much of you're like, okay, so we're just going to kidnap someone and and take them across international boundaries now. Like, cool. This is not about plot. It's about character. It it establishes the character of the Joker and the character of Batman. They actually say it ahead of time. You know, the police can't do this. The government can't do this. Right. But Batman can do this. The Joker says it. And then they say it on the rooftop. I'd rather have an ending that resolved itself according to the character moments more than uh, getting rid of something like this and having more time left at the end to, in the, I don't know, beat up more riot cops. I don't really know what. I mean, you know. I think that's fair. I mean, I guess I guess what I was saying is that if the, if this scene was cut down, then you might have had more time to resolve the ending in the way that would be appropriate for the character. This ends up with basically Lau being dumped on GCPD. Uh, and now the GCPD is going to make its which case. Which is very funny. And uh, there's like 500 criminals that Harvey Dent is apparently prosecuting, which is a really funny uh, reverse shot. I, I thought this was bad because it, it, it made Rachel seem stupid. I mean, she's mm-hmm. like the assistant district attorney. Is she just- how could she Rico? not know about yeah. Rico? Why yeah. did you give that to her to make the discovery and exposition? And of course, you know, Dent sounds like the uh, genius. It is a exposition scene in which the woman is essentially thrown to the wolves for being, yeah, the purpose of the audience being unknowing about things. And it's not, yeah, it's continuing apace with sort of the portrayal, unfortunately, that we've been given. Um, we move to this whole issue where the Joker has kidnapped one of the Batman copycats after killing one of them um and he's got his whole plot he wants batman to reveal his identity or else he'll just i guess keep killing people because he's the joker and that's what the joker is going to do we've got the fundraiser for harvey dent uh where uh we get a little bit of i I say the one thing that in here maybe grown a little bit too especially in the light of what we were just talking about with rachel is where um 
Harvey talks to Alfred and says, you've known her her whole life. And and Alfred says, like, oh, not yet. And it's like, oh, boy, that was just, it felt like really too heavy foreshadowing in retrospect. Yeah, guys, you yeah. are in a rough line of work to be making those kinds of dark jokes. So my The joke that I did like is that, uh, is there any ex-boys? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it cues Bruce all, Wayne. you asked that. That is just a bad word. That's just, don't ask that. Well, yeah. I, mean, uh, me, for, I mean, you live in Gotham, right? I guess mm-hmm. so, yeah. Then again, Michael Caine, those eyes, you can you can ask that man anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can. We get at this point a really nice speech after Bruce shows up about his him coming around on Harvey Dent. And it's done in the Bruce Wayne persona, but mm-hmm. we all uh, get the, the idea. The Bateman persona. Yeah, ex- yes. yeah, thank you. Thank yeah. you. But the, you know, there's something, we knowing Bruce is Batman, we see there's sort of the underneath part of that 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 he is looking for someone to pass the mantle on to and that this is going to, Harvey is his man. He wants to retire. He doesn't have the fire in him anymore. He thinks, right? I will say that this is one of the parts of the movie, this whole, he wants to retire. It's tricky as the second movie. Yeah. When the first movie is the origin movie. And then this is like, he wants to retire and we don't really see any of that stuff in between. And it's, like, why does he want to retire? Like, you seem to be really into this. You know, for a guy who wants to retire, you're spending a lot of time in that bunker. Um, like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we get the indication it's taken a physical toll on him a little bit earlier in the movie. Uh, but yes, it's it's harder to sell when we haven't experienced the whole journey with him. And it's also stranger because part of the reason he wants to retire is so that he can be with Rachel. And Rachel is currently with the guy who he wants to take over the job of yeah. prosecuting right. things so that he does, so he has the free time to be with his girlfriend yeah. which is uh super weird <laughs> joe slight slight conflict of interest there he's not really in touch with his emotions <laughs> joe he may notice because of the cape <laughs> <laughs> at this point we get a, a sort of long intercut scene where we realize that there is some plot happening the uh, judge had a playing card with the dna of her her dna the da's um uh, harvey's dna and um the commissioner Loeb's dna on it and we get sort of this intercut scene where we're trying to protect all these people but uh Loeb gets poisoned from a drink the judge's car gets blown up um and uh, the joker shows up at the fundraiser to try and kill harvey who bruce has locked in a closet <laughs> For reasons, for reasons. Tony predicted that was my favorite scene, and I didn't know it was until he told me. And then I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that is pretty great. When he just shows up and chokes him out and throws him in a closet, yeah. that's great. Yeah. I know what you like, guy. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bit in here, actually, that I thought was interesting where uh, the Joker, uh, somebody at the party stands up to the Joker uh, saying we're not intimidated by thugs. And it made me think of the kind of the same scene in the Avengers movie with the guy who stands up to Loki. Yeah. Do you know who that was in the party? I don't, but I think you're going to tell me. Senator Patrick Leahy. Senator Patrick Leahy, yeah. He he has bit parts in a lot of Batman stuff because he's a big Batman fan. We get our second Joker story about the scars here uh, that the Joker tells um, to Rachel um, before Batman shows up and they fight, fight, fight. And the Joker basically throws her out a window and Batman Batman jumps uh, after her. Uh, including the the, the un, unfortunately phrased "let her go." Come on, <laughs> Batman! Come on! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Don't just walk right into that one. Yeah, don't give him a monkey's paw or like genie's wishes or anything. <laughs> uh, he'd be terrible at that. Also, they should be dead from that fall, even with. <laughs> yeah. They should be really. No, dead. they had a car right there. Yeah, Dan, it's like it's like a cab. It's safe. Oh, okay. So. Is that like an awning? 
<laughs> yes. Okay. It's a cab is a cab is nature's awning. It's an uh, awning with wheels. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, it's the the fruit stand of Gotham. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Don't worry about it. <laughs> also, like he later shows that he totally has a grappling hook. Why would you not use that? Um, <laughs> uh, we get uh, a little bit after this. We get a scene that I really enjoy, which um, is Bruce talking to Alfred uh, about the Joker. And this is where Alfred tells his story about being in Burma and trying to track down this bandit, which is our our allegory for the Joker. And of course, uh, you know, the lines, I think a couple lines in here that get requoted a bunch uh, where, you know, Alfred says in their desperation, they turn to a man they didn't fully understand. That ends with some men just want to see the world burn. We get Batman listening to um, uh, the radios and uh, again, sort of a. Uh, beginning sort of a more convoluted plot where there are some uh, dead guys who have the last names Harvey and Dent that lead to Batman carving a bullet out of the wall. Um, and there's some there's some world's greatest detective here. <laughs> but notice something here is that Batman's doing the thing that he didn't really do a lot in the last movie, which is he's being the detective. Yeah, and I, had, I thought that was cool. In like a CSI Miami kind of a way. It's not a great version of that. I was not really understanding what he pulls off here, but... Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I didn't quite... Especially there's the thing where he's... They've got the really big, scary-looking gun that shoots like five bricks, and I was like, I don't totally get what's going on here at this point. But but he's yes. trying to track something down. He's, he's doing some yeah. science. Yeah. He's simulating the way the bullets shatter inside the brick so that that way he can reconstruct the shattered bullet to read the fingerprint off of the shattered one inside of the brick that he took. That's, that's what I got. That to. probably works. Joe, it's nonsense is what you're saying, right? Yeah, it's total nonsense. Okay. All right. But wait, there's a computer involved, so maybe it works out? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. But to uh, Don's point, uh, this is the first detecting we've ever seen him do, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I don't dig the circumstance. I don't think it particularly makes sense. Uh, but I like that they took a stab at it you know this and the uh the irradiated, irradiated bills that they mentioned earlier yeah right exactly like, like he seems like he's a little bit more on the ball of like uh you know csi style stuff rather than just punching people in the face we get more and more of the joker has these incredibly elaborate things but, where yeah. the joker wants him to get the f- fingerprint because he wants him to go to the place mm-hmm. because he's gonna get shot at by the snipers and he's you know he's he's murdering people with convenient last names and leaving name tags on on uh henchmen and whatnot because he is just he is insane but also brilliant right wait did we get oh. that i didn't get that at all i had I, I didn't think i didn't think that the joker anticipated batman being able to get a fingerprint off a bullet yes. oh he, he absolutely does yeah. oh yeah cuz why 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 else would they be those three people he gets the address he goes to the address the address is where the cops are and there's a timer on the window shade so the window shade snaps up so that he gets shot at well and the whole thing about you know melvin white as the na- you know alfred reads off over the phone when you know melvin white is the and you think oh god it's going to be the joker and it really was the joker setting him up so yeah it's cool. right it has very little to do with any of that i don't want to skip over i think which is one of my favorite scenes in this movie where the guy from the beginning who is their accountant i guess or lawyer comes to talk to lucius about the applied science budget and has basically figured out who batman is yeah. and we get a fantastic scene with with lucius fox where he's like let me get this straight you think that your client yes. one of the richest people in the world dresses Most up as a bat at night and like beats people to a pulp and you want to blackmail him right <laughs> i thought that would have been a great place to then never see that character again uh and instead he comes back so i actually he, he kind of like what they do with that character but we'll get there i do too 
I, I like what they do in the result. I thought it was cool. I, as a casting note, this guy's perfect. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> he is very good as the weedy accountant, yes. He's such a weenie. Yeah, he looks the part, but you know what? He's the confidence he has when he walks into that office and <laughs> slowly the deflates cli- <laughs> the cliff that he falls off of when he realizes what he's done is perfect. Like that, he he does an amazing job. He does, and he starts it out earlier. We didn't comment on it earlier, but when he he's very he's so mad that the CEO is sleeping during the the the, the meeting, the beginning. Well, because he's he's working hard, he's doing all the numbers. Yeah, it, 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 he was like, you know, I, I which he didn't catch, you know, the the problems, but but. Bruce Wayne did um but you know he he's he's has the the balls which I think we've all probably worked with like those like right out of college weenies who like are just so convinced they know everything who's willing to go to the boss and be like oh I've never met anyone like that yeah yeah I've I've, I've been that weenie (laughs) (laughs) this scene also contains a uh, little uh, foreshadowing drop when he talks about something about building cell phones for the army uh, that Lucius interrogates him about a little bit later uh, and Bruce says he's sort of you know keeping close to his chest Uh, we have that whole long sequence that we uh, talked about where he traces the bullet and finds the place with all the cops tied up this is all during the parade that is for I guess the uh, the death of the commissioner which involves the mayor giving a speech the mayor has been targeted Um, and we have this whole again a complicated plan where the Joker's henchmen have stolen police uniforms and they target uh, uh, the mayor and Gordon takes a bullet I, I just wanted to call out a uh, brief appearance here by, I'm going to butcher his name, but David Dasmalkian, uh, who plays the henchman. Oh, he is, isn't he fantastic? Uh, he is in Ant-Man as one he of also, the he's crews. In Gotham. He's in Gotham. He's in, yes. he's in The Flash, too. So the first time, or the first X number of times I watched this movie, I thought he was uh, uh, Treach, like the, the Mad Hatter guy. Mm, mm, yeah. I yeah. think there's a couple characters here that feel like they are allusions to other batman characters but it's like we don't want to go all the way right, right. like right. i even feel like like reese the you know the sneaky accountant guy he's got a little bit of riddler dna in him and there's the you know there's the there's uh gordon's two bu- buddies uh who have a lot of harvey bullock and renee montoya dna right. in them oh that's but are not. yeah ramirez is definitely montoya and yeah except, so except i feel Durin. like he does a lot of like we're gonna borrow from that but like I mean, it's almost like the opposite of what Marvel would do, where it would be like, we're going to have this person have that name and like, right. like rub, rub a hat and not do anything. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is the Marvel Here way. it's like, no, we'll we'll take a little bit of their personality and their character and not just their name. I guess the fact that he came from Arkham was a giveaway. Yes, like, no, just maybe, no, well, yeah. I mean, and that seems to be, I mean, I think they do a pretty good, I mean, Nolan's thing is all about putting Batman in more of a real world. And you, yeah. there is all the question of like, who the heck would actually work for the Joker? And the answer is, he has brought a bunch of people from Arkham Asylum who are not all with it, and uh, and then a bunch of kind of easily manipulable low-level criminals who would like to rise higher and aren't paying attention to how many people get shot. <laughs> or, or don't care as long as they're not. Uh, so we get uh, Gordon, who is, who is apparently dead now, um, and we get uh, the cops notifying Gordon's wife, and she's really upset at Batman, because it's Batman's fault. That is fault. not a nice move. <laughs> Yeah, none of that's great. Um, and Batman goes off to interrogate Maroney uh, while Dent warns Rachel about, uh, you know, now that Gordon's gone, maybe his unit is not to be trusted. Uh, and so she goes to Bruce's penthouse. Uh, we get a bizarre, darkly funny scene where Batman throws Maroney off a fire escape after being told the, the fall won't kill me. And he just drops him, uh, which is a little disturbing. Uh, <laughs> It is disturbing, but I did like that he said from one professional to another. Yeah, right. It's like, well, okay, since we're being pro about this, 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and Maroney sort of also drops another uh, ongoing theme that we'll get back to at the, the end of the movie where he says you to Batman, you have rules. The Joker, he's got no rules. Uh, and the whole idea of these sort of rules will come back into play. Um, Dent, meanwhile, is interrogating that thug and he's going to leave his uh, 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 the guy's life up to a coin toss. But Batman shows up to basically talk him out across in the line and basically says he'll turn himself in and then should call a press conference. I thought this was really interesting because this was the the first inkling other than the conversation about ancient Rome in the restaurant with the uh, prima ballerina. The first inkling you get that, you know, there's something broken in Dent that he's willing to go this far. You see him slipping into Two-Face at that point. You can see why he snapped. And I thought that was a really interesting uh, choice. It may be uncomfortable when I first saw it, but as the movie progressed, I went, okay, I know why you did that. Clever. And I think that's one of the harder things in some ways to sell here, because up until this point, we have been told that Dent and everything that we see of Dent is pretty much that poster boy. And so not having a background on him, I think, makes it you know, I, I agree with you. I think they're they're trying to start hint at it here, but in some ways, it feels like it's maybe too late in the movie to start hinting at that. Yeah. I don't know. It's it feels like it's a separate movie. <laughs> yeah, yes. it's not completely sold on the turn that occurs. It's very Hayden Christensen in. Yeah, in, I was yeah. thinking the exact same yeah. thing. I was even confused. Is there a turn here? Because he's not actually threatening him. Because the, the yeah, the, I was gonna say right. I never really saw this as a turn. I saw it as like the the end. Obviously, well, it's like he's playing a turn, right? Like he's play acting that he's gonna. F- because he, he has no intention of hurting the guy, right? Because he right. says, I'm going to do it a coin flip. The coin has heads on both sides, so he's not going right. to shoot the guy. But he's making the guy think he's going to shoot the guy. Um, so, it, it, I, mean, it, it, I mean, maybe that's the intent that it's like by playing at being that person, he will then fall over the cliff and be, become that, that version that he's kind of like toying around with being. But he's not there yet. We get Rachel and Bruce's uh, almost one scene together here, really, where... Um, she tells him not to make her his one hope for a normal life. Uh, he decides, you know, he's packing up the cave and burning anything that could lead back to anybody. Um, and Alfred is sort of try to talk him out of it and saying like, you know, you have to be as Batman, since you're the symbol, you need to be able to like get through this, even though people are going to hate you, which is another mm-hmm. sort of foreshadowing for where we're going with this character. Um, and I know I will want to speak about Michael Caine here, but this does have my favorite exchange with Michael Caine about being the accomplice. Yeah, I, Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Suffice to say, every word out of Michael Caine's mouth is gold. And by the way, this is the only time that you hear uh, Bruce Wayne be human yep. and laugh and chuckle and crack a joke with his Well, because Alfred friend. is the only person he's allowed to be a human in front of, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And I love the way that they become – that. I love the way that they are together. I like that uh, Michael King can give him stories from back when he was burning down forests to hunt down <laughs> bad guys. <laughs> and from like XSAS, I don't know what the hell that guy was, but he was he was not always a butler. And that they feel comfortable enough that he's like, well, I'm going to tell them all. It's, it's all your idea. I, I love that about the character and I love that about the relationship. It's it's great. Harvey Dent throws his press conference and in a surprise twist admits that he is Iron Man. I mean, he's Batman. Huh. Um and there's some tension where Rachel is is pissed off that Bruce is letting Harvey turn himself in. She also gives Alfred a letter uh, for Bruce. 
and you know we basically find out that harvey's plan is to draw out the joker so batman can get to him and this is the point where we do learn that the coin is double-sided uh and now we get our lengthy chase on uh is it lower whacker is that what you said don it's blues brothers territory yes. did we have the chase there in the first movie too there's a lot of the downtown chicago underground chase yeah. scenes uh this is a pretty good chase scene uh i think there's a lot there's a lot going good. on here yeah uh but it does see the end of the tumbler which is sad as it takes a, an rpg and then it turns into a motorcycle uh selling mm, many God, many toys mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. that just feels feels like a decision that somebody who sells toys has. uh push, completely push, a decision push real hard i i thought the s in front of laughter is the best medicine was really funny <laughs> yeah but i also thought the joker progressively going through you know, escalating weapons until he gets to the RPG was both in the theme of the film and also funny as hell. Except he's shooting the van with the everything, except when he finally gets to the RPG, he shoots the the police car in front of the van. And it was like, I, I kind of thought that he would hit at least one time the, the, the van with it. But is that his goal? I don't, I've stopped trying to figure out how smart yeah, he is. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think his goal is just to watch the world burn. Yeah, because he's also prepared to take down the helicopter when they get above ground. So I don't. I don't really understand what his intent here is, other than just 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 a night out on the town. Yeah. The Batmobile stuff is the least favorite stu- part of Batman for me. I know people love it; that's fine, but I don't like the intimidate mode at the beginning. And I, this scene was amazing, but we're coming off of like uh, what Terminator Two, uh, Matrix Two had an amazing free rate like chase. Uh, this it was great, I but I didn't see a purpose to it. I I just didn't get it. And when the Batmobile turns into a bat bike, the bat bike's cool, but I mean that's just I didn't I didn't like it. That's why I like the meticulous planning Batman rather than the oh by the way my car also turns into a motorbike. Like what? That's just why why? Because they sell toys. I mean we mentioned that earlier, but I think that's actually but but honestly I think this is almost a notable thing. Um I, I started that out as like I'm gonna flip and comment the more I'm thinking about it. What's really interesting to me about this film, um, this whole trilogy, but this film especially, is that you know, you went from having one of the most commercial, you know, like franchises in history in terms of toys and stuff with, you know, Tim Burton's, you know, Batman before that kind of fell out. And obviously, you know, um uh, Avengers and Marvel have, have kind of gone that direction too. But with the exception of of this this kind of moment, which was very clearly done to sell toys, this is not a film that is selling toys, mm. which it, to me, I think, is, again, like why it, it was such a switch thematically from every other genre film that's existed beforehand. I would like to nominate my MVP for this sequence, who is the guy in the front of the armored car cab with, uh, <laughs> who just comments on all th- everything happening and just being really this upset. This is not good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that guy's my favorite. Um, I mean, he starts the scene with saying, I hope you have some moves to the masked driver guy. Huh, this is weird that we spend so much time with these characters. Uh, and of course, as we go through the whole chase, which has some very technical, uh, technically impressive sequences, um, including where it ends with the um, Batman basically uh you know battle of hoth walkering the truck and getting it to flip the getting the truck to flip over is a pretty Physics cool shot of that don't really make any sense no either, not really but, but it's okay. fun to watch eh, yeah not an hour ago this guy was carefully planning an assault to take out four people with like a like a meticulous plan and timing is all his stuff and then it's just like you know what we're going to war on the freeway rock and <laughs> yeah. roll and yeah i'm like, going to stand here while and yell at you while you ride at me with a motorcycle yeah it's, yeah it's, it's gets weird yeah yeah 
Yeah, well, yes, we've established this sort of weird duality of the the Joker with being an agent of chaos and yet also a meticulous planner. But this scene ends with Gordon, who is alive and turns out to have been the guy driving the armored car, arresting the Joker. Um, And then admitting to his family that he's alive, he gets slapped and then hugged, as you have to when you admit that you faked your own death to protect your family. I think that's de rigueur. Um, And we get the Joker taken into custody and uh, Gordon made commissioner. And we now get another whole long, interesting set piece in the of the Joker interrogation uh, with Gordon trying to figure out Harvey Dent has gone missing. Where is he? Uh, The Joker is trying to goad Gordon a little bit to, um, uh, you know, being alone. You know, is he surrounded by corrupt cops? And then we get a whole interrogation by Batman. And this is, I, I don't know, what, what are your guys' feelings on this on this particular scene here? Because I think there's a, a lot of meat, but in watching it on retrospect, I didn't enjoy it quite as much as I think I had uh, upon earlier viewings. Never put a man in a Batman costume under phosphorescent lights. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, right up there with never get into a land war in Asia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are two classic mistakes. Um, I, I love their interaction. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was I thought it was great. And uh obviously the Joker has the best dialogue here. And he you know, the whole thing about why would I kill you? You know, you yeah. you complete me. I don't know. It reminds me a lot of uh, of Unbreakable actually. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I also thought the uh scene the the introduces that when um uh when Richard Alpert comes in and makes Gordon uh the uh commissioner commissioner and the joker does the applause thing i just thought that ledger's little weird performance and moves and head cocks there were just wonderful and then when uh batman opens up a can of whoop ass on him uh in the room and where he comments you know to batman you know you shouldn't slam the the person you're trying to question head into the table (laughs) As it makes them good. It's just so wrong and weird and funny and serious at the same time. It just gets the right tone because it's wrong. There's a reason that that is under full light. It weakens Batman. It it, it robs mm-hmm. him of his mystique. We see him mm-hmm. in a rubbery uniform that looks frankly kind of silly. Right. Uh, I mean, the Joker looks a little bit more put together than Batman in this. Like, it's like, what yeah. are you doing in this toy suit? Um, the fact that Batman is out of control and weakened and slamming his head against the table, everything is playing in Joker's favor here. Yeah, because he wants Batman to break the rule. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, I was shocked immediately when, when he walked in because I'm like, oh, man, like, you just robbed Batman of his mystique. And it, that's intentional. Like, yeah. The, yeah. It's, and it's played well. I think it's, it's, it's good filmmaking. It looks visually off because you want your character to look cool. But by making him not look cool, I think, uh, served a, a purpose. I really like the way that you guys think about that. That's that makes the scene I feel like gel a lot better for me. Um, this is also where we have the Joker arguing that you know the people will basically reject Batman and yeah. that offen- yeah. essentially they will all turn animal. You know if the chips are down. Yeah, he basically gives them a note. Say, here's the premise of the movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, how do you think about that? <laughs> Script notes. <laughs> right. yeah. This is also the point where the Joker basically establishes: Look, I've kidnapped both Rachel and Harvey, and you're going to have to choose which one to save. Ta-da, the prisoner's dilemma. And this yep. is the one that I never quite get. Maybe you're, yeah. you guys have opinions about this in terms of: Is this just the Joker being wacky? But he flips the addresses because yep. the Bat- because he knows, right? Yeah. So Batman's going after it. So is it actually? This is an interesting question. Do you guys think that you know? 
the Joker knows who Batman is? Does it matter? Doesn't matter. He know he saw him go out of the window. He saw him go out of the window, so I don't think he knows it's Wayne or cares. I think he knows that Batman has feelings for this girl, mm-hmm. um, and and that she's important to him, and that that is going to work to his advantage. And it's robbing him of control. Right. Completely. That's that's what it's. He knows you, that's his. You trigger. get to make a choice, but also, haha, your choice was actually. I have, right. I it's fruitless. It. I have. Yeah, which yes. is his, it's his entire thing. Yes. Right. It's like your your choices are pointless. Like every time you make a choice, your planning, all of it is it does it's irrelevant. He he he's a French philosopher. He's yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he's Camus with a, with a smiley face. And you know, it's moments like these where the movie is the strongest, where the script is the strongest, where the mm-hmm. plot is the strongest, and the point is. And you you get moments like this and dialogue, and then you can forget you know you can sort of forget the over the top car chase no this is the stuff that to be honest i think kind of made me love the film so much because it's the sort of dialogue that this could be a thriller of a different type or this could be you know some sort of drama or, or psychological thing or a noir film right um that had nothing to do with batman and you could have these same like characterizations and, 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 and dialogue and conversations, and it would have the same emotional impact. That to me has always been what I've loved so much about this film. And it's encapsulated in these scenes is that if you were to take the, you know, uh, I guess lore of the Batman out of it, the basic structure of the story still holds up completely. I agree. Yeah. So uh, now we've got, um, you know, Batman going after Rachel, Gordon and the cops going after Dent, and we see their predicaments. They are both tied up uh, in rooms full of gasoline and bombs, but they have a phone line, which is nice. So they have to hear each other die. <laughs> well, right. That extra act of cruelty, that extra act of kind of nothing really matters. Actually, I, as much as I've criticized Maggie Gyllenhaal, I actually think she's very strong in this scene. I think this is the one scene where, especially at the the kind of the end sequence, like her performance is, is, is quite good. Yeah, that's an interesting performance right because she's going through all of this knowing that she's going to be saved yeah exactly and then you can kind of see even though she's very upset about it you can see how her demeanor changes when she realizes that they've gotten to harvey instead of her and that is heartbreaking yeah it is heartbreaking she's like it's okay it's all right and then you know uh the 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 but bomb goes off and 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 you don't see her again. But yeah, she has this subtle moment on her face where you know she was trying to kind of lift him up and talk him through it, and it's going to be okay. She's like, I'm the strong one because she knows she's going to be all right. And then when she hears the voices, it's suddenly dawning on her. You can kind of see her catch her breath that she's going to have to now prepare for what's about to happen. Right. right. And she yeah. tries to get in the last word, and and then everything explodes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Which I think is just really cruel. Yeah, the film does ask you to believe that there were no patrol cars anywhere near where <laughs> yes. she was. Yes, but and that 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 you know, Commissioner Gordon is just like a slow driver. Five minutes less good at saving people than Batman is, <laughs> yeah. or that the yeah. timers were you know they screwed with them. I don't know. Gordon didn't have the bat pod, and exactly. he wasn't driving he have- this time. Remember, he said, uh, remember when he t- uh, tells the cop, "Take it up on the sidewalk." <laughs> yeah. Um, and we get Harvey is in, in well trying to get himself loose. Harvey has gotten gasoline all over himself, um, which leads him to mm. get burned. Uh, back in the jail cell, I do want to no, make, only half of only himself. half, yeah, only sorry. half. But it's That's really in his pores. Just it's really, really half, though. Uh, I do want to acknowledge <laughs> the cop who the Joker uh, goads into fighting him in the uh, in the cell. 
Uh, that's yeah. uh, Keith Serbaya, who is another one of those character actors, including um, he was on Angel. He played uh, Holtz, the vampire hunter. He was he's really great. I love oh, him a lot. Great. Uh, but I, 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 guy, you'll especially appreciate my notes do say that guy's a real biff because when the he's Joker <laughs> when the Joker takes him hostage, he tells the other guys just shoot him, <laughs> which is the right answer. <laughs> Stop thinking, kill this guy. Yeah, like, just do it. But yeah. instead, they give him a phone call and he blows up mm. all the cops with the bomb he put in some guy's stomach. Uh, the crazy guy. Joker. Yeah. It really bugged me how that was intercut this whole entire time. And I was like, you guys are so not with it. Like, how are all of you cops not <laughs> observing anything about this? A lot on? of turnover in Gotham Police. Yeah, a lot of them are on the take. The ones that aren't are putting in way too long mm-hmm. hours. You've just uh. not dealt with the government very much, have you? Yeah. I was going to say, mean, just... the, the good ones have all, you know, transferred to Metropolis. Like, they, they, <laughs> to be they're fair, like, I'm, I'm done with this. This is the first time they've seen a bomb sewed into a guy's yeah. stomach. Like, three yeah. years from now, they'll be like, oh, yeah, classic Joker move. None of them, none of them watched Black Mask in high school like I did. So, you know. But wait, Joe, Joe, this was the end of the Rachel Dawes character. Uh, and you marked this specifically as being a pain point for you. Is there something about this sequence that, that particularly stood out to you? Oh, well, just they, they fridge her. Um, the, the the two men for the rest of the film can go on uh, with their remorse about uh, how she died and uh, was was martyred uh, so that they can uh, whine about stuff. Um, <laughs> notably, Harvey Dent, who gets to be like, oh, no, my Padme died. And he just right. does that for the rest of the film. <laughs> Sand, it gets everywhere in my face. I do want to comment, uh, since uh, we talked a little bit about the look of the film, I think there's a really nice shot here of when Batman is standing on the wreckage of the yeah. building that's yeah, exploded and i think that's used in some of the promo images and it i it really popped for me i is one of the few like sort of cinematograph cinematographical shots that i really caught my eye so wally fister is a genius when he's behind the camera like that yeah yeah but batman in defeat is not a thing you see often right no it's not and and i think that i mean we see it a lot in in dark knight rises but especially up to this point like i think that's why i made the the promotional i stuff so good was that it's not what you're expecting to see so at this point uh like you said we've got some some bat moping um (laughs) alfred reads the rachel's letter which we've discussed a little bit about how she you know is basically picked harvey uh because she thinks he can't give up batman um he's got a better haircut yep that's mm-hmm. what it is i mean he's also like obsessed and has poor work-life balance but yeah sure. at least type. but they work together at least he like goes to sleep at night i, I mean guess. He's, yeah i guess <laughs> you could say he's halfway decent uh. well like 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 they spend the night together you know he's not she, he's not like i'm gonna go my cave now or can you take an uber can can you like take the you know <laughs> yeah. take an uber home i'll, I'll see you later mm-hmm. like you know and and then they have the same job so yeah he's no yes. you know so it's like they can have lunch together and stuff yes <laughs> there's an interesting choice here too in that you know Bruce is a little delusional in thinking Rachel is going to wait for him and Alfred takes the letter back I actually love that I think it's a very interesting moment of also a character you know Batman is a character who is we are thought to believe is like really observant he's a detective right but he's like, still a rich guy yeah when it comes to himself <laughs> so though he's really guy. can't yeah. yeah he's he's still bruce wayne right yep. like yep. he's still a rich like entitled guy who like there's no way in his in his mind that rachel would ever he has taken a lot of blows to the head in the last three years <laughs> but but even other than that i mean i think you're just like look at how buff he got he was the machinist like he 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 got so buff he has all these toys he's so rich like She's going to pick a public servant? Come on. But yeah, she is. <laughs> also, there's a lot of room for advancement in Gotham. But it's true. Just, 
you know, upper management. <laughs> so is this the scene where uh, he asks Alfred yeah. uh, how they caught the bandit in Burma? And I, I thought it was a real turning point because it's finally the light goes on in Bruce Wayne's head when he says, you know, yeah, we caught him. We burned the forest down. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this is the first step for uh, uh, Batman or Bruce Wayne realizing that, you know, he's going to have to go. He's going to have to really be the Dark Knight. He has to make a choice. He can't kind of straddle yeah. this line. He's really yeah. going to have to violate people's privacy via cell phones. <laughs> yeah. He's going to have to become Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's it's coming to terms with, you know, what Harvey says in the beginning. You either die a hero or you live exactly. long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's the point in the story, you know, where he's starting to go down that path. He realizes that that's, that's mm -hmm. how this is going to end. And I thought that was that was very, very well done. Again... This is a beat that makes me love the movie. Yeah. Having Kane deliver it too, I think, especially. Yes. Is the... Kane is so good when he tells that story, you know, and, and, and just, yeah, it's just, and then, cause you see, and you're like, okay, this, this is, this is where this goes now. So Harvey wakes up in the hospital. Uh, we get our shot too here of, uh, Tony alluded to earlier. The, uh, the accountant is going on TV cause he's going <laughs> to unveil Batman. Uh, um, bad, bad choice, dude. Yeah. Sorry, man. Is it though? I don't know. I, I, I think it, know. it's weirdly brave, but dumb. Yeah. I mean, it's brave, yeah. but it's so stupid. But that's kind of what he did before, too. Didn't you all think it was so believable, though? Yes. Oh, completely. I mean, I, I oh, thought, yeah. Yeah, this, is just, like, this is just the same kind of crap that happens in real life with people. It's a little MTV. weird because it's not, it, it's, it, it is a thing that suddenly happens that throws a lot of things into action yeah. that doesn't seem related to the Joker's plan. Like, the Joker then co-ops it by... Right. Yeah, the Joker didn't expect this. The Joker was just like, oh, I got lucky here, thanks. Yeah, which so that is a little weird as, like, a starting point, because it feels like the Joker is driving so much of the action, and Completely. this is, like, a weird thing where it's like, oh, yeah, and also there's this one accountant who's real pissed yep. about his yeah. job. The one thing I take the Joker at his word for is that he is an agent of chaos. I was going to say the same thing. Exactly. I think he just and he probably appreciates that. I mean, I think that he's a planner, but he also is equally as, as confident to just kind of go with the flow. Right. When the plan goes awry, he's like, OK, let's just roll with it. You know, that showdown when the when the uh, Batman was driving the bike at him and he keeps saying, I, I want you to do it. I want you to mm -hmm. do it. I want you to hit me. I think he did. I yeah. Think oh, he's yeah. I agree with it you. would have screwed up all of his plans and everything, but he wanted to do that. It would have ruined his plan, but he didn't care. It was no, like, but, but it would have proven his point, right? Exactly. Like he would have been able to say, "You're you're no different than me. We are exactly. the same." This yeah. is the scene where we see what's happened to Harvey, and he's having the conversation with Gordon. And for me, for a movie that doesn't really have very much blood in it, mm -hmm. this is some of the grimmest, most grotesque thing. Because, and it's really weird. You're in attention, and it's just genius on Nolan's part how he did the direction. Because you're thinking, turn your head, turn your head. I've uh -huh. got to see how bad it is. Because you're also seeing the pillow to the side of his head, right, and the stains on it, and it's like. Oh my God, this is gruesome. And they just wait until the end of that mm -hmm. scene. And they do cutaways, the very well-timed cutaways where he'll turn his head. And as he's turning yep. his head, they'll cut to Gordon. It's, mm -hmm. it's very clever. It's like, you don't know if you're going to see it or not. Like you, mm -hmm. you wonder like, are they actually going to show this to us? What is it going to be? And then when you see it, it is so much worse. I think it's well done. I recall some nerds not liking the, the visual effect. Uh, thankfully on this panel, we have someone who knows a little bit about visual effects. Guy, what do you think about this? <laughs> do you know what? 
What? I was about to jump in there as a joke. No, that's okay. Enough from God. Joe, how are you doing? <laughs> Hi, thanks for checking in. Um, no, I, I, I design-wise, I have issues with it, but like execution, I don't have a substantial issue with this. It, it's, it seems uh, not hygienic and weird. And, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, that's the one thing I get. I'm, yeah. I'm like, like, yeah, like he also seems to be talking remarkably well for just having had this surgery, you know, presumably with half his face gone, you know, like the, the muscles are still working. Yeah, he, he's missing part of his lips and cheek. Uh, like there's no way he would enunciate like that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. like big, Christina there's said. a big gauze shortage in Gotham too. <laughs> there is, but, there's but like, it looks so keep, good. Yes. It, yeah. <laughs> Uh, at this point, we get into sort of the Joker's plan in depth, which is to just he really is trying to get the world burned in some places, literally, as he burns the pile of money that he recouped from Lau. Moroni um, tries to offer up uh, the Joker to Gordon. And we basically uh, now have the part where the Joker takes advantage of the guy being on TV and and basically calls in a, a threat on his life and says, if, you know, they don't people don't kill him, essentially, he'll blow up a hospital. Um, at this point, the e, Gordon has all the hospitals evacuated. Um, we get, uh, Alfred and Bruce looking up, uh, you know, trying to figure out which cops are compromised and trying to let Gordon know as, uh, Bruce zips around in his Lamborghini because his Batmobile is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, this stuff should have been the beginning of the second part, the second movie of the Dark Knight. Yeah, I think there is a strong argument that it should end with Harvey waking a- up in the, the hospital. Yeah. I would thousand percent agree. Yeah. Begin with mm-hmm. the thing. Yeah. You know, like there's action scenes immediately coming that that are like reintroducing the characters and getting stuff on a roll again. I, I think there was a natural break point after the, the, the buildings exploded and then, and I you think know, you feel kind of through the ringer at this point. And it's hard yes. to keep that level of tension and yeah. adrenaline up. Well, yeah. Cause the movie still has like what another 45 minutes hour left. Uh, in it at this yeah, point. Half an hour, 45 minutes. Yeah. So there Gordon is driving around with the car, trying to protect our friends, the accountant and at one point, there's a guy in a truck who's going to ram uh, the armored car, and Bruce drives the Lamborghini in the way, and then plays really dumb about it. Yes, but he, yeah, I love that. But there's but a shot the where he look. gives a nod to the accountant, yes. and the accountant, uh, I, I, you know, I processed it more this time, where it's like, oh, oh yeah, he knows he's Batman, and realizes he just saved his ass, uh, and yeah. it's just, it's a, it's a nice capper to that little plot there. I love that. Uh... There's no words need to be spoken, but you know that that guy is not going to rat him out. Yeah, like, right. it's, no. it. like it's like you know that <laughs> he he will be doing Bruce Wayne and Alfred's taxes for yeah, pro yeah, bono yeah. for a long He's time. Like, okay, we're good. <laughs> At yeah. this point, we do get that scene between Joker and Dent, which is the Joker basically trying to push Harvey over the edge. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, and we can all agree the scene where you know he's so the Joker's dressed up as a nurse. He's got I the mouth so on his face, and it's oh, not God. until he removes the mask from his mouth <laughs> that Harvey freaks out because what? <laughs> hey, right? You're, you're you're like, dude, like, come on. He's but I, I love Heath Ledger in in this outfit, though. I really do. Just him walking in the dress, it's so good. I, I was sad watching him take the uh, the wig off. I thought with that little like red wig that he was wearing with the joker makeup i'm like okay that's and the nurse's outfit that is that was freaking me out completely yeah felt like uh hey let's get normal it's like no that's no but also i have to just comment like the the grease on his hair like whatever whatever the hair you know uh, makeup people did to to heath's hair to like give it that texture really impressive you could almost smell the joker in all of his scenes (laughs) couldn't you (laughs) 
Nobody uh, wants that. I couldn't, but yeah. now <laughs> you've kind of ruined it for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought that I thought there's a great uh, double think, or it shows what a great BS artist uh, the Joker is when he's trying to convince you know, Harvey that he's blameless, but also giving him a gun and letting him point at his face, you know, but he does things that, you know, do I really look like a guy with a plan? You know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars. Yeah. I just love that whole sequence. Yeah. It's an interesting moment there because as we've established throughout all of this, the Joker is a, an in, intense planner, right? And and certainly the scenes that come right after this uh, totally that. lie, uh, you know, put the lie to everything he tells Harvey. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it, but see, this is, it's great for the Joker. It's terrible for Harvey because it makes, <laughs> makes him look even more dim-witted and even, even more incapable and incompetent. Um, whereas he was set up as this, uh, bright and shining DA who, uh, knows the Rico act and he, he's all on top of his books and, uh, ready to go. He kind of uh, gets reprogrammed law. in one little five minute chat. Well, okay. But, but, but also like he just lost the love of his life. He had half his face blown off. He's gone through in a lot of trauma and maybe he's just, and he's angry that, that this, you know, that these, these cops, these people who were supposed to be protecting him have, you know, not that he's done all this work for this city for so long for nothing. And then when, it comes down to it. It's literally been for nothing because everything that he cared about in his mind is gone. Yeah, I, I, I totally bought the transition. I, I do not have a problem with that part. It's hard because it's rushed, I guess, is the thing. It's like, where is the 30-minute movie showing like the, the Two-Face becoming Two-Face? Yeah, so it yeah. should have been, like been eight episodes instead of six, right? <laughs> sure. well, I'm just saying, when they did it in the Batman anime series, it was a two-parter because... <laughs> Right. I mean, I think this goes to like, like I was that I think that if we had turned this into two movies, then this would be the first arc. This would be the first third right. of the second film. And right. then it would maybe make more sense. Or we would jump forward in time and Two-Face has been out of the hospital and he's assembled his own gang and he's murdered 10 people already. And, and we'd follow his events then. Yeah, I, I think like you that. are all right about this. And it, it, I think the, the biggest issue is it doesn't have room to breathe. Right. Like because we're still in this hugely adrenaline tension filled situation we have no time to sit with this change it just happens and then things are off and running and that's that's tough like i think i agree with what don and and christina are pointing out about all the motivations all that stuff is fine i think it's just it's paced in a way that makes this very awkward yeah it's implausible that it occurred on uh, in this time frame that they have it's impossible he'd be able to leave the hospital Wearing his burn suit that he somehow found in the closet. (laughs) The Joker blows up Gotham General, uh, gets away with Harvey, uh, who basically goes around and starts exacting his own revenge on all the dirty cops. By the way, another great Ledger performance here with a blow up of the hospital that it was a total muffed scene Mm -hmm. and, you know, it wasn't exploding when it should have. So that's just Ledger screwing around there on camera, beating the little control. And then it finally blows up in the background, and apparently Nolan just couldn't believe the luck that he had with that little performance from Ledger. So it was totally not planned. We get Lucius going downstairs to Wayne Tech R&D, where he finds the giant screens and the fact that basically Batman has turned everybody's cell phone into uh, an Amazon Echo that can track their life. So I'm not really up on technology, but uh, <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> that Bruce Wayne, noted computer programmer, um, could do? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, Edward Snowden, like, 
four years after this movie came out, like five years after this yeah, movie came out. Yeah, but it wasn't doing it was, echolocation from every phone in the city. No, but it was capturing, like, I mean, it proved that, like, the CIA had the sort of thing. Obviously, you couldn't do echolocation, but, like, it, yeah. you know, I I, I, remember, so. I remember when the Snowden thing happened, I was like, holy, the Dark Knight was real. Okay. You just made that a lot more serious than I did. So <laughs> I know I'm just saying, but I, I thought a lot about this over the years. And like our yeah, whole, yeah. our whole, uh, we actually do live in a surveillance state. Maybe not to this level, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the the surveillance part of it is interesting, and I like the moral ambiguity of it, especially with Lucius um, saying like, as long as this is here, you know, I'm not. I, I want, I'm going to resign. It's the sonar part that the Daredevil vision that is really kind of. Like a submarine, uh, yeah, mm. <laughs> yes, yes. That's a- there, there were bits. There were bits. Of, so this was basically a, a superpower just invented out of whole cloth. There are bits that I like. Guy, you don't understand. Batman is not great at beating people up on his own. He needs like sonar power to beat people up. Yes, yeah, Batman Forever taught us anything. We have not that's seen true. several movies where he's great at just taking guys down. That is true. He's been an utter failure up until he had. Yes, a whole until thing. until he had glowing eyes, yeah. he was until really he, until he could. F- finish that like 16 by 16 matrix worth of tv screens yeah yeah yeah. it was just he was just hanging on there i like that he gives soul control to lucius i think Mm -hmm. that's great i like that he allows him to blow it up at the end i think that's great i just i don't know why this isn't a movie that's very long it feels like this didn't need to be that's where i'm going it's like that there are bits about this that i like i don't think we needed this in order to drive the plot further no because the joker really wanted to be caught so they could see the guys in plain sight uh through the glass yeah, uh, because he ends up like bombing yeah. the ferries you know and the snipers are positioned right like it just doesn't make sense we don't need this and it's irrelevant and it it lessens the character and it creates a rift between the two of them that i don't think is has any real purpose the point in the plot and the point that they were trying to make was not about this it's later on it's about the two ferries and the the people on them making the decision not to blow each other up that they're finally inspired. But we, and I agree with you, we have a lot of distractions getting to that point, but the problem uh, that you have with just that little morality play with those two sets of people, the criminals and the ordinary people, it's actually kind of dull, visually dull. (laughs) And it would just be a total, you know, down there. So I think they have to play it against something else to make that point. So I think that's probably why the choice was made. I don't know if it's so much that is visually dull. I mean, I, I agree with you, but I think that there could have been a way to do that. But they need tension to drive that part, which I think you get with them trying to kind of track things down and using, you know, the center. I think it's all about creating that tension and creating that anticipation whether, but I, I'm in agreement as much as I kind of like it as a device. And I think it would be really interesting to explore in a second film where it's placed and, and kind of with everything else that's going on, it, it feels off. It, it is introduced to give Batman a superpower of being able to see through walls as he assaults the, uh, uh, where the hostages are being kept. That's what it's for when his eyes are glowing. And when he like, that's the only thing that it ever plays out that's useful. And, uh, I don't like that. I prefer the planned, coordinated attack of of the Batman, as we saw in in Hong Kong. I I don't necessarily like him being able to see through walls and take out entire squads of people totally unplanned. Right. I mean, that's Superman's job. Exactly. And this is the so they gave him basically they gave him a superpower right at the end out of 
nowhere, basically, in order to have this scene that I thought had interesting elements to it. Uh, basically, the fact that the Joker had swapped the hostages mm-hmm. with the hostage yep. takers. I mm-hmm. thought that was interesting. I thought it was a very Joker move. But I didn't need the trappings of this weird like uh, sonar stuff on top of it. Yeah. It's too much. Uh, yep. It's confusing. I, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people are confused by it because there's the jumping back and forth between the different things. And there's the Batman fighting fighting the police to keep them from killing the people that are not the that are the hostages pretending to be gun toting mm-hmm. guys. And it's I don't know. I mean, I guess do we needed that or could it have just been Batman fighting his way up the floors of Joker thugs and then he gets to the top and and we get his his big speech slash fighting things out with the Joker. The police thing bothers me because he doesn't just say like, hey. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, he could have made one call to Gordon and said, like, it's the opposite of what you think it is. But instead, I'm going to I'm going to throw like five SWAT guys out a window. It's okay, They're on rope. But also, I just threw them out a window. Although at the same time, I mean, at this point, I he probably has no trust in the police at all. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, like with what happened with Rachel and Harvey, like he very understandably, even Gordon, like, you know, he's probably questioning everything and everyone other than, you know, Alfred and Lucius. And at this time, Gordon is rushing to get his family. He's not going to call Gordon. So wait, but wait. Bruce, Bruce trusts Gordon, even if they, they just had a fight and Gordon was like, you know what, engage regardless of whether he's going to go in. He trusts him and he could get on the, the, the bat radio and tell him like, hey, you know what, uh, the, the hostages have been swapped with the hostage takers. Pe- people are going to die if I don't People are going this. to die. Like these two are pretty professional and tight enough to know that like, you know what, he's probably not pulling my leg about who's going to die. Well, I, I don't using me to say it's a. Gordon specifically, like there are literal people in front of him that he could right. say it to and demonstrate <laughs> yeah. by taking it's not the mask good with off. his words, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> his feelings and his words. And that frog in his mouth makes it hard. That's what he gets for talking like that. Joe, he's Batman, not word man. Get it together. Uh, so it's yeah. a little overly, uh, overly long, but the confrontation at the end with Batman and the Joker and what they say is very interesting. It's great. And it's, you know, and the movie ends right there on a really epic uh, concluding moment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that that was the right ending. I I actually like where it goes to uh, at the end because it's again it's uncomfortable, and you have Batman make that choice. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be the Dark Knight. I'm going to be the bad guy. So somebody else can be saved. I'm going to become the villain. I'm going to really make a sacrifice. So, and I thought that, uh, that was really good. I thought the, a little play with the family and stuff like that was a little bit long, but I understand you can't cut it too much or it's, uh, feels even more rushed, but I liked it because it felt, it felt sloppy and uncomfortable. No, (laughs) no, seriously. I mean, it, it felt like, oh my God, now I see what the whole point is. He's going, especially when he grabs Harvey's face once they fall off the building mm-hmm. and he turns his face from one side to the other. That was a little too literal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got into the ending now, which involves, you know, uh, basically two phase threatening to kill at first Gordon's family. Uh, and then, you know, when they sort of shift him around, uh, Batman himself and Gordon, he turns to his, his trusty coin. Um, and we do get this mo- this moment, uh, of Batman deciding to sacrifice himself, and yeah, I, I can totally see where you're coming from in terms of the where this goes. And it feels very much like an Empire Strikes Back move, right? We wanted this to end on a down note. Uh, we wanted this to be, you know, sort of the darkest moment right before the dawn. Mm-hmm. But I think there is 
I will agree with the people who said there, there's a pacing issue. Uh, there's a lot happening here. And if you wanted this scene really badly, I think some stuff earlier needs to go. But I'm curious to hear other people's sort of uh, impressions of this last uh, 15, 20 minutes worth. Christina, do you want to? Yeah, I mean, it's weird because I think over time I've been more critical maybe of the ending. I remember at the when I saw it originally, I thought it was really strong and kind of left you kind of breathless. Um, now I, I feel like it still kind of does, but you're trying to catch up with what's happened in the last hour and in that last 15 minutes doesn't quite feel there. I will say though, I mean, from the beginning, it's always kind of felt like unresolved to it, to a point where, you know, you were kind of thinking, okay, well, are we going to, to see, you know, when the next film happens, is there going to be kind of a continuation of this? There wasn't, right? And 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 obviously, you know, Heath Ledger was dead, and and they didn't bring, um, you know, they made some allusions to to uh, Harvey Dent, but that was it. Um, but I mean, I think that it makes them, it, it it asks really interesting like morality questions, but it almost works. I think as a whole, the film works really well, but there are parts of this ending that just feel, um rushed in a sense uh, both rushed and um unresolved i agree with christina i but uh i, I never really loved the ending of, of this so i was interested i was interested to hear that uh her watching it on reflection um had had, had changed some things about it because I, I it just always felt oddly paced and weird and it felt very much like return of the king when it's like yep the movie's over let's let's wrap it up um i, I understand that thematic wise uh that that there is there's stuff here to explore there's more to do but um i feel like that's what another movie would have been better suited to do um as christina had had also said just in terms of silliness the fact that he sort of runs away down a corridor of it just doesn't visually look like that much of a batman-y exit (laughs) Uh, yeah like he's they're giving like this great grandiose voiceover exit and he's just sort of like you know, hobbling down a thing, like running away from the police. It's like, that's, that's your power. There are dogs again. The dogs are chasing him. <laughs> dogs. His fear of dogs. No, mm. the montage is really strange. I mean, it could be worse. It could go out with him just murdering a bunch of dogs again. That would be <laughs> the worst way to end <laughs> well. the movie. But um, I, I appreciate what they were trying to do. I don't think it really landed. We weren't attached to Gordon's family enough. We didn't spend enough time with exactly. them. Yeah. Not that I don't care if, children i don't know are murdered mm-hmm. that's obviously bad but i would like to see some more sort of connection with with the family to to see what the stakes are i mean i don't even know that kid's name i know we hear it but i can't remember it like i just don't care i'm going to call him john junior <laughs> this movie ended in a, in a way that i would have been interested in seeing picked up in the next movie yes but i think they failed to do that and like, I didn't like the ending of this, but I was like, well, you know what? There's going to be another one. Maybe that will make this make more sense. That's, that's I think, what I originally kind of thought. I liked it when I saw it because I assumed, okay, this is unresolved, but it's going to be resolved. And then, you know, Heath Ledger dies and it changes a lot yeah, of things. Yeah, or whatever. They read it. Yes, that or they read it. But And it's, it is unfair to judge this movie based on my expectations of like, oh, well, maybe the next one will be better. I think the ending was sort of uh, weak. I think the beginning was incredibly strong. We uh, By the time we end, unfortunately, with the explosions, which, you know, definitely refrigerated uh, Rachel Dawes, uh, the second half of it sort of feels like it's dragging a, a dragging itself over the finish line mm-hmm. a little bit and uh i wasn't like 
literally him having fallen, what, three stories and then sort of hobbling off down an alleyway as the police chase him with dogs felt like, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the way that movie went out. It went out, <laughs> went out a little beaten up and not great. A little yeah. ignominious. Yeah. I loved it. I love the pacing. I love the message. I love Batman getting on the bike and riding off through the dark tunnel into the light. The visuals. I just thought it was a perfect way to end a movie. I didn't give a rat's patootie about whether there's going to be another movie. I didn't even think about that then. I thought that's the way uh, Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill would have ended a Batman story. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I'm maybe a little harsher on it than some and not as harsh as others. Uh, it, it doesn't quite fit together for me. I mean, I think I, I, I like others here. I really enjoy this movie. I, I like it a lot. It's probably the most ambitious Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Maybe The Dark Knight Rises is more ambitious, but yeah. uh, it's a lot of songs. I'd uh, we'll say talk- this is more of a successfully ambitious yes, movie. Yes. That was yep. that, yes. <laughs> right. So maybe maybe that one's too ambitious. Uh this is a very ambitious movie and it does a lot uh, uh, it does a lot really well. It has some has great action scenes, has great performances, has very interesting things to it. Uh I think it yeah as we've identified, it tries to do too much for what I am looking for and it's hard because uh and and part of it is like the 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 Joker story is just so interesting in this Mm -hmm. that the other stuff that could totally be another movie that has enough substance to it feels like feels tacked on or feels extra in ways where it's like no just give me more of that like give me more heath ledger give me more of the batman and and the joker going back and forth and is he gonna have to break his rules or not and like we can do a separate movie about the rise and fall of harvey dent and what that has to do with batman's reputation because it's hard there's a lot of like stories and themes woven in here and maybe there's too many i don't know yeah. you, you could yeah. have done batman versus the mob and it would have been fine uh some of you gave me uh, i thought great ideas about where you would cut it into two movies i or two part one and part two i see it as like two separate movies uh the only thing that uh you miss out on that which i love is the uh harvey dent and and uh and the joker in the hospital room together mm-hmm. you need right. that or right. i love that and it would right. be sad to lose that in the two movies uh but yeah there's a lot going on there there's a lot that's done and it's a long movie but it doesn't really drag there are no. parts that are slower than others but there are it's not like the return of the king where there's like five minutes of singing in the middle right if like, anything there's no. a lot of times for again for a movie this long where it moves too quickly and things are muddled <laughs> i will add that i think it's interesting this is a trilogy uh that is very disjointed in the way that the movies lead into each other just as we talked about the the unclear time difference from batman begins to the dark knight um jumping to the dark knight returns doesn't really pick up a lot of the stuff in here either which is an, an interesting choice all right Oh, it has been a long journey getting to this point. Uh, thank you all for uh, spending the time. Uh, I know we, we went on a bit long, but there is a lot here, as we said throughout. Uh, so at this point, I'd like to wrap up. And I would like to thank my guests for being here this week. Christina Warren, thank you so much. Thank you for having me and listening to me blather on about my favorite movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Joe Rosenstiel, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me on. Don Melton, a pleasure having you. Thank you for the invite. You're welcome. Guy English, my partner in crime, thank you for sharing your thoughts about Batman. We didn't talk enough about Michael Caine. <laughs> <laughs> Always the case. <laughs> you, I know. Uh, and Professor Tony Sindelar, thank you for bringing your Batman curriculum to us. Goodbye, nerds. Thank you all out there for listening. There, I believe, will be an episode at some point talking about The Dark Knight Rises. You can look forward to that. Uh, and that's probably the end of our DC coverage. The Dark Knight... It, wait, is that Michael Caine retires? Is that yep, the that's, movie? That's what he buries 14 okay. Batman. And Catwoman. <laughs> and Catwoman. Catwoman. <laughs> yep. But we are not covering that tonight. That is all we have time for. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>